When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. All right, it is our final show of the week. As we do each and every week in this hour, this has become, I believe, our most popular segment of the entire week. It is time for... The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank... Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. That's right. Your opportunity to ask a question on any subject... Ideally, we'd like it to be something different, something creative, something interesting, something out of the box. And whoever comes up with the best question, the most untru- most interesting and unusual question, as determined, by, the most thought-provoking question, as determined by Matt Blaze, Kenneth, and Alex Barnard, we will give you a complimentary piece of the Other Side of Midnight merchandise. So if you have what it takes, you can give me a call at 800-848-9222 and we'll try and get to as many of your questions as many of your questions this hour as we possibly can. 800-848-9222. Let me begin with Igor in Fairfield, New Jersey. Hello Igor. Greetings, Frank. Hey Frank, uh I wanted to ask you about uh where you may have met Roger Stone for the first time. Um did you work with him? How did you come to produce a documentary about him, you know, when you say, get, get me Roger Stone? And what, what's the most important thing do you think he told you or taught you about politics or running a campaign? Um, all good questions. Let me try to break each of those down in the manner in which you asked them. So the first question in terms of how I got to know Roger, about 22 years ago, I was very active, as I still am, in the third-party political movement And I was active in the Reform Party. And about 22, 23 years ago, uh, Donald Trump was poised to run for president with the Reform Party. And I was a big Trump supporter. And uh, I uh, I'm such a fan of Pat Buchanan now. I feel silly saying this, but I didn't want Pat Buchanan to be the Reform Party nominee. I thought he was too right wing. I believed a lot of the media narratives about him being prejudiced and about him. Well, I don't want to say I believe them. I believe that. Having someone that was labeled as prejudiced and anti-Semitic would be a death knell to a budding third party movement. So I thought Donald Trump, who had tremendous appeal to uh, independents, to Democrats, to Republicans, I thought he would be a great candidate for the Reform Party. So uh, Roger at the time was the chairman of Donald Trump's exploratory committee to run for president uh, with the report with the uh, Reform Party. So he and I started uh, kind of collaborating in order to make a Trump candidacy a reality. Now, Trump, 
ultimately um, didn't end up running, but we stayed in touch a little bit. And then we got to know each other really well uh, two years later during Tom Golisano's campaign for governor of New York. Uh, Roger ran Golisano's campaign for governor. I was a big Golisano uh, supporter, as I was in all of his campaigns for governor. In fact, uh, I think Golisano is going to be the grand marshal of the Columbus Day Parade this year. I'm hoping we can get him in studio. But I got to know him really well through that uh, 2002 campaign. We always sort of stayed in touch. And then since then... From 2002, um, you know, he kind of uh, had different ebbs and flows in his political career. He would go from being on the fringes of the political system to being disgraced. And throughout all that, we uh, we ended up staying pretty close friends. As far as that uh, documentary, it's very interesting. I um, it was right after the 2010 campaign for governor. And he and I had both worked on the campaign of Kristen Davis, the former Manhattan madam that ran for governor that year. And we were both hoping we could get her 50,000 votes because that would have been enough to get her party uh, ballot access for four years. She didn't get the 50,000 votes, and we were both feeling pretty defeated. And he was in New York. At the time, he had dual residences in New York and Florida. He was in New York. I said, um, you know, he said, and again, this was at a time when Roger was, he couldn't get arrested. And I mean that in the worst sense of the term, not the best. But um Roger called me. He says, hey, what are you doing tonight? You want to have dinner and you want to get a cigar? I said, sure. Okay, we'll get a cigar. And um, I said, I'm going to this thing for New York Civic, which was Henry Stern's group. I said, why don't you come with me? Come with me to this thing and uh, then we'll go out and grab dinner and a cigar afterwards. So he comes with me and all sorts of people at this event, Democrats, Republicans, independents, other political consultants, they all came over and greeted Roger and he had – I've never seen somebody have this kind of reaction where they lit up a room like this when they're supposed to be disgraced and on the fringes. So one of the guys that was part of New York Civic at the time, Morgan Pekma, he wrote to me the next day and he said, hey, um, you know, it was great to meet you last night. Thanks for coming. Thanks for bringing Roger. You think I could have his number? So I gave him Roger's number. And then Morgan reaches out to me again a month or so later and says um, – you know, uh, he says, uh, do you think we can have lunch? So we, we get lunch and we're sort of making small talk. And he, I said, uh, what do you do? He says, what do you do? OK. And then Morgan, his hobby at the time was making movies. I said, oh, what kind of movies do you do you like to make? And uh, he said, well, I make all sorts of things. I've done this. I've done that. And I'll tell you, one of the reasons that I reached out to you and one of the reasons that I was eager to reach out to Roger Stone was that um, I'm hoping to do a documentary about him, but he didn't call me back. So he said, maybe you can get Roger to agree to participate in the documentary. And if you can, you know, you can have a hand in helping us produce it and help us do the interviews and you could be a producer. So uh, that was um, that was kind of that's exactly what happened. So that was 2011. And um from it took us years uh, to work on that documentary. None of us thought that uh, Donald Trump was going to be elected president five years later, and that Roger was going to play such a big role in his presidential candidacy. But that kind of made the film. Um, as far as things that um, that uh, that Roger taught me, too many things uh, to list. I would say um, a lot of them are not necessarily about politics, but about uh, style, about food. Uh, in terms of um, in terms of politics, one one word, one uh, piece of advice that he always that he always gave was um, losers don't legislate. 
And he said he got that from Richard Nixon. And that was a piece that was an important piece of advice because I always have a tendency to hold to a moral high ground and to do things the way I want to do them, not necessarily not necessarily the way things are going to end up in a win. And um, he made clear to me that if uh, you don't win, you're not in a position to pass any of the policy agenda that you want. So I uh, hope that answers your question. Thank you. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Let me say a little William in Asbury Park. Hello, William. Hey, Mr. Moreno. I wish my question was that creative, and I certainly uh, appreciated the first question. Uh, what was your favorite cartoon growing up? Oh, uh, that's a good question. I had a bunch. I, if I had to pick one, uh, and there were many that I enjoyed, but if I had to pick one, I'm going to say, look, I'm always a science fiction guy, right? Uh, so I always had a thing for science fiction. I'm going to say it's probably the Jetsons. I really yeah, well, I really love the mine. Jetsons. What, which was yep. yours? Robotech. Robo- I don't remember that one. What was that one? That one, uh, it was it was made off of a Japanese cartoon called Macross. It was a Japanese anime cartoon. It it, it aired late eighties, early nineties. Oh, okay. And uh, the gist of the story is aliens attack Earth and devastate everything, and you know the you know the rest. Uh, so it's a, a feel good, big, big feel- magical spaceship fights off the aliens. I love it. Feel good cartoon. I have to check that one out. Yeah, I love the Jetsons. I like the Flintstones as well. I like a lot of the Hanna Barbera cartoons. I like the um, you know Looney Tunes and that kind of thing also. But if I had to pick a favorite, it would be either the Jetsons or the Flintstones, one of the two. A lot of other ones that I enjoy, but it would be one of those two. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222, whatever you have a question about. Larry is on Long Island. Hello, Larry. Frank, very simple question tonight. Mm -hmm. If your wife came to you tomorrow and admitted to having an affair over many years since you guys were together, would you stay with her? Um, So... It's an affair with one person, or it's an affair with um, multiple people? You choose. Well, I mean, it depends, right? I mean, if it's an affair with multiple people, um, you know, maybe – you know, it's a, it's such a good question. If it's an affair with one person, then that leads one to think that maybe there's an emotional connection there that, um, you know, that, 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 that is deeper than something that we have – I'm just trying to think this out loud here because as surprising it is as it is this I've never spent a great deal of time thinking about this. If it's multiple people, then maybe I could rationalize it in my own brain as I'm not fulfilling some need that she has either physically or emotionally and she has an itch that she needs scratched and uh as far as whether I would stay with her or not, I think a lot of it would depend on whether or not she wanted to stay with me. If she's been cheating on me for years and said, look, uh, I'm not in love with you and I have been cheating on you for even before we were married and I don't want to stay with you, then uh, then no, I wouldn't. But uh, that being she's, said, she's actually she's actually coming to you. And asking for forgiveness. Yeah. Well, I, I have to be honest. I, I always, I always kind of, I always kind of scoffed at people that would talk about, 
what a game changer children was in a relationship. And I would always scoff at people that said they were staying together because of their children. But I'd have to say if she wanted if she asked for forgiveness and she wanted to stay together, I would absolutely stay together because she is um, an incredible mother uh, to uh, to our son. And uh, I I can't imagine uh, parenting Carmine without her. So I would probably forgive her. I mean, again, it's easy to say that in the hypothetical sense. It's a much tougher thing when reality and rubber meet the road, but it's a much tougher thing to uh, it's a much tougher thing when it's reality. But I think I would forgive her and I think I would stay with her uh, if for no other if for no other sake than to, uh, you know, for the benefit of our son. I have friends, honestly, that um, the spark is long after long out of their marriage and they're staying with their husband or their wife. Because of their children. And, you know, again, before I had a child of my own, I would always think, oh, how sad that is, how terrible that is. And and now I kind of have a different perspective. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to um, Mike in Ohio. Hello there, Mike. Morning, Frank. Um, I was just wondering, earlier this week you were speaking with Dr. Skye, and during your conversation with him, it caused me to wonder, what country do you think will be the first to land a person on Mars, and what year do you anticipate that happening? Well, I would hope um, that it would be the United States. I I recognize that maybe it won't be the U.S. government as it was um, with uh, with the moon, I think maybe though uh, that it will be somebody that's uh, an American private sector space you know associate like an Elon Musk or a Richard Branson type. I could absolutely see that. In terms of what year, look, um, I'm gonna. I have no idea, honestly, but I think the Russian timeline is between 2040. And 2045. So if we're in a new space race where the goal is to get to the moon, to to Mars instead of the moon, I'd love to try and one up them on that and try and beat the Russians to Mars, maybe 2039. So I'm going to say my optimistic projection is that it's a private sector American company and that it's by 2039. Thank you. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Haya in Brooklyn. Hello, Haya. Hi, Frank. Um, So um, uh, congratulations on your sister-in-law's wedding. Thank you. I will pass Um, that on to her. Yeah, so so you had mentioned um, that she had converted to Orthodox Judaism, and I saw a beautiful photo of her and her husband. He's a Hasidic Jew. Yeah, I don't know if he's like I don't know if he's Hasidic or or just uh, Orthodox or I, I'm not sure, but yes, he's certainly yeah. an observant Jew. Yeah. Yes. So how so how was the wedding? I saw a photo of you and your brothers at the wedding. How did you feel? Um, how did, did you feel uncomfortable? Was this your first Orthodox Jewish wedding? And how is how is, is your family accepting of her? Like, how do they feel about her converting to Judaism, being that they're all Christians? 
Yeah, uh, all, all good questions. The wedding was phenomenal. I was really impressed at the wedding, and um, and I was really kind of blown away. Everything about it was great. The music was great. The food was great. Everybody that was great, there was great. Uh, Simka's uh, family, they all seemed like really nice people. They all came down to, from Canada to be there. And um, I, it was not my first Orthodox wedding. I was at another Orthodox wedding about a, a year and a half ago. But um, I, uh, I, did, I thought it was a, a great experience. You know, what I have been to a lot of secular Jewish weddings before. In fact, I've videotaped wow. a lot of secular Jewish weddings before. And one of the things that was always standard when I would go to a secular or reformed Jewish uh, wedding um, service is that they would be a basket of yarmulkes when you walk in. At this wow. wedding, at this wedding, yeah. there was no basket of yarmulkes, I guess, okay. because... My brothers-in-law and me were the only ones that don't wear a yarmulke all the time, so they didn't have a big need to have a basket of yarmulkes. So I did feel a little awkward that during the ceremony that, um, you know, my brothers-in-law and I were the only ones that didn't have uh, yarmulkes on. Uh, if there's one drawback of the ceremony, uh, you know, I, I, I totally understand that it's tradition to separate the men and women, right. not only during I the ceremony, but, that. yeah, I, you know, I, it would be nice to um, to have had my wife yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not that yeah. big of a dancer anyway. But uh, it would have been nice to have some women on our side of the room once in a while, you know. <laughs> How do, are your parents, how do your family feel about that she left Christianity and she married an Orthodox Jew? Like, yeah. how, do, how do they, well, um, she became, herself became an Orthodox Jew. How do they feel? You know, uh, so um, my mother-in-law tends to keep her feelings pretty close to the vest. And uh, I don't want to, I don't want to reveal too much, but I will say, I don't think, I don't think that it's necessarily something that she's overly enthusiastic about. I'll say I'll say that, but I will say all of her eight siblings including my wife and certainly my mother-in-law, they all wish uh, they all really wish her uh, a lot of happiness and uh, and the best and they all do whatever they can to support her decisions and uh, w- whatever that involves. So I think everybody's yeah, once, done once whatever they, they have can. children, you know what? That's when the, sometimes the parents become more accepting once they have children and sure. it brings the, everybody yeah, closer no, together. You're, you're exactly right. Hi, hi. Thank you for the call. 800-848-9222. Diane is in Virginia. Hello, Diane. Yes, hi. Um, yeah, do you think it would be good for, to have our president elected to a six, one-time six-year term? And aren't there some governors that have that six-year term limit? Well, that's a, that's a great question. That's how Mexico does it. They have one six-year term for their uh, for their president. And, um, you know, Larry Sabato, who's a political scientist that I really respect, he wrote a book where, uh, called A More Perfect Constitution, and that's one of the proposals that he includes in there. Um, it's such a good question, and it's one that I thought, I've thought a lot about. I'm not, I'm, I'm not ready to commit to that one yet. Um, the only, I think there's only two states, uh, might even be just one, but there, I think there's only two states that allow you to have a term limit of one, and that's Virginia is the most, the one that immediately comes to mind. There may be one other. Uh, you know, the thing is with, with Virginia, and, you know, I covered this a little bit with Brian Kilmeade yesterday. If you do that, essentially you almost immediately become 
a lame duck. Now, there's there's something to be said for that in that you're not going to spend the five and a half years of your presidency fundraising. Presumably, you spend it on doing the right thing and on legislating and on making deals with political adversaries on doing the right thing for the public. But the other thing is, if people know, especially your legislative adversaries, that all they have to do is wait you out, then maybe that will lead to you not having the kind of gravitas that you need for internal negotiations. So I'm not willing to embrace that. But one of the things that I'm really um, open to, and thank you for the call, Diane, one of the things that I'm really open to is the idea of a new constitutional convention. I know you have the Convention of States project, and you have a lot of people both on the left and the right that are pushing for a new constitutional convention. One of the things that I've actually agreed to do is I was recently asked to be a delegate in sort of a, like a, basically a fantasy football style constitutional convention where you tweak, you, you tweak the amendments as you would if you were a delegate to a new Article 5 convention. And I, I think I'm interested to hear the arguments on both sides. I think it's an interesting question, Diane. I don't want to rule it out, but I, I'm not ready to endorse that yet uh, either. I see the pluses. I see the minuses. I'd want to look at how it's worked out in Mexico and in other places that uh, that have done it. But I love the out-of-the-box thinking, Diane. I, I really do. I'm all for, as you hear me, railing for nonpartisan elections and proportional representation and all sorts of other reforms to our electoral system. I'm all for wholesale reform of politics because our political process is totally broken, and I'm all for looking for ways to fix it. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. We'll continue straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Ian, Ian, Ian. Ian, 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 Ian. 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 Ian, 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 Ian. This is the Ian song uh, from the YouTube by the guy who sings your name over and over. We dedicate this to the fella that uh, participated in the $1,000 Minute yesterday who didn't know the name of Hurricane Ian. I still am floored by that. I thought about that all day today, yesterday. I, I just, I don't know how that's possible. Uh, and again, I know people freeze up and I know people draw blanks, but it's almost as if I asked you, what's your own name? And you didn't get that right. All right, 800-848-9222. We're doing whatever we can to answer your questions on any subject. We are doing our weekly. The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. That's right. Whoever comes up with the best question this hour, as determined by Kenneth, Matt Blaze, and Alex Barnard, we're going to give you a complimentary prize, too. So come armed with creative questions, interesting questions. We've got a few already, uh, which I love. And uh, if you uh, have something that's out of the box, that's different, that's creative, give us a call, 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Irv on Long Island. Hello, Irv. Hey, uh, Frank. Uh, Good morning. It's always a treat to talk to you. My wife doesn't uh, usually let me keep the radio on while she's trying to sleep. Um, But anyway... Uh, I've been listening to talk radio for many decades, 
So I'm wondering, who is your favorite all-time radio talk show host? Mm. This, my fa- See, it's, it's such a tough question because I've had different favorites at different times. The three that most immediately come to mind are Rush Limbaugh, Howard Stern, and Jay Diamond, right? Uh, but the thing that you got to understand is, especially with Rush and Howard, who've had su- who had such lengthy careers, and Howard's case, it's still his career is still going on. They really go through so many different phases of their career. So, for instance, like the Rush of 1998 certainly did not sound anything like the Rush of 2016. So, I mean, so the rush of, uh, when I say rush was my favorite, I mean the rush of, like, 1996, not the rush of 2017. And it's it's a very different radio show at that point. Uh, Jay Diamond, I don't think there's a better voice than uh, than him. I, I, you know, the others that come to mind uh, pretty close to the top are Bob Grant, John Gambling, Tom Likas, and Doug McIntyre. If you're going to gun to my head... Um, uh, you know what? Uh, gun to my head, I'm going to say Jay Diamond. Jay is, to me, not all, um, And you know what? Curtis is really terrific, I must say. Curtis is really so great. Be- because he's on so often, I think a lot of people um, don't necessarily appreciate how talented Curtis is. But Curtis is honestly, and it's a very difficult thing, Curtis is not only a gifted intellect, and I mean that sincerely, but he's also a gifted entertainer, and usually most performers on radio have one or the other. But Curtis is able to seamlessly uh, blend both. But um, wow. I don't know that I could pick one, but those are my tops. Uh, Rush, Howard Stern, Jay Diamond, Bob Grant, John Gambling, Tom Likas, Doug McIntyre, and maybe, and maybe Curtis. See, I told you so. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you differentiate eras. Um, uh, I wasn't thinking about that, but I think you're right. Um, uh, my favorite was uh, Bob Grant. Get off my phone. <laughs> exactly. But uh, I appreciate your approach, your combination of uh, uh, discussing current events and pop culture. That's something that Curtis also does. Um, so uh, thanks for uh, th- those insights. I what love Jay Diamond, too. Thank you. I appreciate it. I was actually talking to Jay yesterday. He had some interesting things to say. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll share one or two. 800-848-9222. Corey in Palm Bay uh, in the midst of the heart of this hurricane. Um, Corey, were you able to collect enough money from your GoFundMe to uh, buy a new grill cover? Um, yes, I bought several new grills with it. Thank you. Uh, so, Thank goodness. Thank you. Um, so my question was, are you superstitious? Absolutely. And I had Absolutely. Two, I, I, honestly, I think, what extent? I think every baseball player, and not that I played baseball at any advanced level, but anybody that gets very into playing baseball at any point is pretty superstitious. So I still, when I go on the baseball field, I don't step on the foul line. If uh, there's a no-hitter going on, even if I'm just watching the game at home, I'll never mention it. But, yes, I am incredibly uh, superstitious. I will. Uh, I adhere to just about every superstition there is. Same here. Um, if, you, if, I'm in, if I'm driving and I have no traffic and somebody asks me, Oh, you, how's the traffic? I say, no comment. <laughs> I'm the same way. I'm the same way, Corey. You know, because as soon as I say, oh, I'm flying, there's no problem, bam, traffic. You know, it's so funny. So my wife and I are driving out to Long Island tomorrow, and a lot of the time we'll be on one of these long drives to Long Island or New Jersey or wherever, 
and she'll say to me, you know, we really haven't had bad traffic. And I'll say, honey, I don't know why you would say that, uh, because that is just uh, the absolute worst thing that you could say. Corey, thank you. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Alfredo in Newark. Hello, Alfredo. Hello, Frank. Uh, Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Frank, if uh, China become number one in the world in in most aspects, uh, what do you think, uh, American society, how will change? (sighs) That's a good question, and it's one that I've spent a great deal of time thinking about, right? Um, On the... um, I think it's going to take a while before China is G1. How will American society actually change? Well, I think in the short term, American society will not necessarily change tremendously in any noticeable way for the in the immediate future because so much of the reason that China would become the number one economy in the world is because of America. If you look at where China has experienced growth – It's largely in manufacturing things that they sell to American consumers, which American consumers purchase. So we're almost, even though the Chinese might not be crazy about us and we might not be crazy about this, uh, about the Chinese, we're almost in this symbiotic relationship with the Chinese because so much of what we use and consume on a daily basis is Chinese. Also, um, in order to keep our government uh, running, we need to borrow all sorts of money from the Chinese. The Chinese are borrowing treasury bonds or buying treasury bonds and allowing the United States government to keep floating. So uh, I guess the biggest uh, way that it would change is if China ever decided to stop lending us money and uh, if they decided that they wanted more advantageous uh, trade, uh, you know, trade uh, circumstances, I guess maybe the, the, the area where you'd see the biggest difference the most quickly is in the manufacturing sector, right? So if you manufacture something something that is exported to China, if you're an American manufacturer that exports to China, and China decided that they wanted to uh, pursue a much more stringent protectionist trade policy, their trade policies are, are already pretty protectionist, but if they wanted to pursue a much more stringent protectionist trade policy, that could put our American manufacturers in a in a tough spot. So um, I wish I had a better answer, but I, I think for the foreseeable future, even if China is able to surpass the American economy, I think by and large it would be pretty similar, except maybe in the manufacturing sector. 800-848-9222. That's 800 let me say hello to um, let me say hello to Sammy in New Jersey. Hello, Sammy. Hey, Frank. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Okay, I just want to ask you if you were if you were a mosquito, who would you bite? Oh, <laughs> you know, I honestly try to live my life in pretty um, in on a on a in, on terms where I don't really wish anybody ill will, and I try not to yeah, be. Well, it's not, it's not yeah, yeah. No, I'm the... trying to think. So, who would I want to annoy with an itchy um, mosquito bite? Let me think here. 
Um, da, 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 da. let's see. Maybe I'll go with uh, no, 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 no. That wouldn't be. That wouldn't be. A, who would I bite? I would bite. You know who I'd bite? I'd bite that guy that um, broke into my neighbor's car two days ago and stole his water bottle because um, there was no need for that. And he's now that now our whole block is up in arms because they think there's a, a thief on the loose. So I'd I'd bite that guy. I'd sting that guy. That's probably where I'd go. First, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Henry is in Manhattan. Hello, Henry. Hi, good evening. Good evening. Uh, I'm just wondering, have there been uh, political people uh, that you have had an about-face change of heart as to whether you think they're good or good for the country or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I'd have to go um, on a case-by-case basis. You'd kind of have to throw a person at me, and I could tell I could tell you whether, you know, what I think of them. I wouldn't say when I, a change of heart or an about-face. There are certain pe- certainly people who my views have changed about um, positively or negatively. I'm trying to think who. Um, I, um, well, you know, before... What about... Go ahead. What about New York State governors? Well, look, I've uh, I have was never fond of Andrew Cuomo, and I while I think he did a couple of good t- things in his first term, especially I remained unfond of Andrew Cuomo. Oh, you know one uh, that I'll give you that's a great example that kind of jogs my memory. Elliot Spitzer. I actually voted for Elliot Spitzer in 2006. I regretted it almost immediately. I think he was an awful governor, and I think he's uh, a pretty creepy person. And uh, that's somebody who I I thought I was very optimistic about his ability to reform the state, and he turned into being a tremendous disappointment. That's that's a great example. Uh, Elliot Spitzer is somebody who I I voted for and was incredibly uh, disappointed with uh, in terms of um, in in terms of his performance both in office and his performance as a person. In terms of people that went the other way, I'll be honest with you, and I'm I'm hesitant to say this because I've been so critical of the different things that he's done as mayor. Somebody that I w- thought was going to be horrible in 2013 was Eric Adams. Eric Adams, I when he was a state senator. I thought this guy was the biggest charlatan, the biggest race hustler, the biggest crook that there was. And it killed me that this guy was going to run for borough president of Brooklyn and be completely unopposed. So I actually recruited a candidate to run against Eric Adams. And I, I, I don't want to say put it this way, but I dug up this uh, old city councilman that had been in, out of office for almost 50 years. And I put him up to run against Eric Adams in a Democratic primary. And uh, they threw him off the ballot. They threw him off the ballot on a legal technicality. They said we made a mistake with our cover sheet, and they threw him off the ballot. And Eric Adams got to go into office unopposed. And I thought he was going to be horrible. And I have to say, in the eight years that he was borough president, my uh, I, I really grew to like him very much. Not as a person. I don't really know him as a person. But I liked a lot of the different things that he did. That being said, I think he's done a lot of wacky things in the um, in the nine and a half months, ten months that he's been mayor. And I say, I don't want to go through them all now, but I, I say it on a regular basis, the thing that he's done. But in terms of somebody that significantly improved their standing, in my view, it was uh, certainly Eric Adams fits that bill. 800-848-9222. That's 800 848 
to to Mike is in New Rochelle. Hello, Mike. Good morning, Frank. I heard you mention how you, your favorite uh, talk show host. Can you mention any of your favorite radio disc jockey music uh, DJs? Well, I always liked. Um, I was like Scott Shannon. I always liked cousin Brucey. I was always a fan of um, of Dan Ingram. I uh, I was like Scott Muni. I, obviously, before he died. In terms of, uh, I think those are the ones that most immediately come to mind. Scott Muni, Scott Shannon. Uh, cousin Brucey and um, and Dan Ingram and honestly um, I, somebody that I give a lot of credit to as a disc jockey and someone who I really enjoyed listening to was Mark Simone. Uh, Mark Simone, both with his Saturday Night Oldies show, his Saturdays with Sinatra show, the show that he used to do on uh, WNEW. You know, Mark Simone. Say what you want about him. Certainly a very weird guy, but a gifted dick, disc jockey and someone that uh, has a larger than life radio presence. So he would be certainly. Right Right up there. 800-848-9222. Mark is in Garden City. Hello, Mark. How's it going, Frank? It's going well, thanks. Frank, uh, earlier this week, uh, there's a caller, Stan from Manhattan, and he called into Dominic Carter's show. He made some kind of a comment, and Dominic said he wouldn't allow him back on the show until he apologized. I turned on the radio right after the comment. I'm wondering if you know what that comment was. You know, I, don't, I wasn't listening at the time, so I only know what I hear kind of secondhand in the hallways here. And luckily, this is a hallway where there's a lot of people that like to chirp and, go, and gossip. I think he made a comparison. I don't know. The, and, and first of all, I think Stan is from Queens, not Manhattan. But uh, I think he made a comparison to uh, Trump being Nazi-like or Hitler-like or something along those lines. Oh, I see. Okay, I was wondering what it was. Yeah, that's my understanding. That's my understanding. 800-848-9222. Joe is on Long Island. Hello, Joe. Hey, how are you, buddy? Good. How do we uh, change these bail reform laws? And, uh, you know, did you hear what happened today in the story with the EMT getting killed? I did, yeah. I did. I mean, I don't know that that's necessarily directly tied to bail reform. I think that has more to do with the number of mentally ill people that are that are the violently mentally ill people that are out on the street, which is a whole separate discussion. But um, the 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 thing that we need to do if you want to change bail reform is to um, is to elect enough people to the state legislature that are going to do that. Now, I know that sounds simplistic, but um, that's why political reform is really the key to everything else. If you reform politics itself, then you'll get folks that um, that uh, that are able to run for office, not necessarily appealing to the most extreme wing of their party. You know, if you think about it in New York City, which dominates the legislature and dominates the state, New York City, 80 percent, 90 percent of the city has districts that are Democratic. That means whoever wins a Democratic primary is going to win the general election. So what do you have to do to win a Democratic primary? You have to be the most left-wing candidate possible. And that, by extension, that's who gets elected, even though that's not really representative of how New Yorkers feel. So the only way you change that is by political reform. Things like proportional representation or nonpartisan election, uh, term limits, you know, democracy vouchers, all that sort of things which give the people more power, not the politicians. Now, I have been campaigning for years, almost my entire life, for initiative and referendum, and allowing you, the voters, to pass laws, right? And some people have called me an anarchist. You, they say, oh, da, 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 whatever. I don't, whatever, I don't care. Um, what if you, Joe, 
could circulate signatures to change the bail reform law and then get the voters themselves to vote on that issue and not have to rely on some politicians. And that's where I think, and I I said this the other day, I think Lee Zeldin is really being so short-sighted. Lee Zeldin said last weekend he doesn't care what the legislature is going to do. He's he's willing to do away with the bail reform laws itself. I think that is such a dangerous um, approach. And I think Lee Zeldin, rather than running on a platform of being making the state less democratic with a small d, he should be running on strengthening democracy and giving the voters the opportunity um, to make these changes for themselves. Rather than talk about how you're going to fire Alvin Bragg on day one, which you can't do. You can begin the process on day one, but you can't fire him on day one. Um, why not give New Yorkers, as Andrew Giuliani campaigned on, give New Yorkers the ability for recalling public officials? Make the politicians afraid of the voters. Um, make the state more democratic. That's what I think um, needs to be done. Uh, but the short answer to your question, Joe, is you got to ask, you got to elect more people to the state legislature who are willing to do that. 800-848-9222, two open lines if you want to jump on board. Bill is in Huntington. Hello, Bill. Okay. This question is about Superman. Okay. Love it. Yep. Superman semen has the, it contains his masculine essence. Mm-hmm. Therefore, at the climax of the act of love, his ejaculate should have the muzzle velocity of a speeding bullet. Are you with me so far? I think so, yeah. Okay. So what does this do to Lois Lane? Well, that's a good question. That's one that I never saw addressed in either the um, the comics or the, or the movies. But um, I, I, I couldn't really say, Bill. I don't know. I thought you were going to talk about the powers of um of a son of superman of something something along those lines but i couldn't really say maybe she's just a real trooper what can you say i don't know 800-848-9222 open lines if you have a question we'll continue and try and get to as many of your questions as we can straight ahead the other side of midnight it's the other side of midnight with frank morano This is Fireflies by Owl City. If you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing on this program, uh, you can go ahead and uh, join our Facebook group. We post those in there every day. And uh, you could just search Morano Radio Fans and Haters on Facebook. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. We're taking your questions on any subject, 800-848-9222. We are in the midst of... The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank... Ask Frank Anything. anything. Ask Frank Anything. Ask Frank Anything. You know, I've been trying to go to new people, people that we don't routinely hear from... 
Uh, but I, I feel bad when there have been people holding a while. So what we'll do is I'm going to go every other one, whoever's been holding the longest and whoever's been holding the least amount of time. So this way we can mix it up. So who's been holding the longest? Andy on Staten Island. What is your question, Andy? Andy! All right, Andy. Thank you. Uh, all right. Uh, who else has been holding a while? John is in Brooklyn. Hello, John. Frank, what do you think of the Brooklyn Book Festival's uh, decision to have a panel consisting only of police and prison abolitionists? You know, which I, they'll do this Sunday. I, honestly, John, you are my guy on the Brooklyn Book Festival. I. I uh, as much as um, you might give me a hard time about my views on foreign policy or other things, I, I I don't know of a person that has studied and been more vocal on the Brooklyn Book Festival than you. So kind of whatever you say on the Brooklyn Book Festival, you are my go-to source on that. I have to be honest, I don't follow the goings-on in the Brooklyn Book Festival too closely, and shame on me if that's the case. But look, you can't you can't follow everything. And uh, if I didn't even know, I'm embarrassed to admit it, I didn't even know that that was the case. I am the guy that likes, as I hope you could tell from the show, dialogue, right? I like having all sorts of different people, um, all sorts of different views, right? And I have no problem having police abolitionists and prison abolitionists, but I want to see them on there with hardline criminal justice warriors, right? People that can have a real discussion about that kind of thing. And when I put together panels, both on the radio and in panels in real life, that's what I try to do. But uh, if that's the case, if they only have the one side represented, John, if it's as you say, then then that's a shame. And that is not at all um, the kind of thing that I think is productive. I don't think it's good for free speech or anything like that. Eddie is in Clarkstown. Hello, Eddie. Hey, Frank. Question is: Do you think there will ever be another queen who will be at, in the throne for seventy years, and without any controversy? And uh, and uh, and also, by the way, what what is her last name? Um, I, I believe her last name. I'm going to get this wrong. I'm going to have to look it up. But I, I want to say her last name is is Stewart. Do you know her last name? I don't. Yeah, so I'm going to have to look it up. But um, uh, I don't think that there'll be ever another. Uh, well, I, I doubt that there'll ever be a monarch that's um, that's 70, 70 years old. I th- uh, excuse me, that reigns for 70 years, because part of the reason that she got to do that is because she became a monarch so young. Uh, or her last name, um, I, I believe, was Windsor, they say. Uh, Elizabeth Alexandra Mary Windsor. So that was her last name. But I think that's part of the reason why she got to reign so so young. And now with people living longer and longer, I don't know that you'll ever see somebody become a monarch at the age that she did. So unless you become a monarch in your 20s or, or early 30s, you're not going to be able to reign for 70 years. 800-848-9222. Tom in the Bronx. Hello, Tom. Yes, uh, I'd like to say two things. Yeah. Uh, first of all, did you ever see... The animation, Laverne and Shirley and their commanding pig, that was hilarious. No, no I, I watched Laverne and Shirley, but I never saw a Hello. Laverne and Shirley animation, no. Now, yeah, that was, I, they may have been act, act, actresses that did the part, but they sounded just like uh, the individuals that played Laverne and Shirley. The second thing I'd like to say is the King of England, when he was a prince, 
he should have been an actor because he had the uh, he had the addiction for it. He had the accent for it. And I bet he would have made some heck of an actor, you, you know, then. Well, um, I, I don't know. You know what? Acting. Thank you, Tom. I, I I'm no great critic of of actors, but um, f- acting is a craft, right? It's something that you when done well, you have to train for and i without that training um i i don't i don't know king charles never really struck me as someone that was out of central casting for being an actor all right 800-848-9222 karen is in new jersey hello karen hi frank uh, uh there was a caller last night uh and uh, you asked them to come to my home tonight to check on me uh i don't remember that what was what, what was that karen um, what was the caller? Uh, I didn't hear. I didn't hear the radio last night, but uh, but I just heard reference made. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I do, I don't remember that, Karen. Uh, sorry. If, okay. If, yeah, I mean, uh, did they come to your no home problem. to check on you? No, no, no one's come yet. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, do you well, need help, Karen? You. No, no, I I am fine right now. All right. Okay. Um, okay. Thank you. All right, Karen, email me if you need anything or or, or send me a text message at 8168-MORANO. Matt, do you know what she's talking about? Kenneth, do you know what she's talking about? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I have a pretty good memory. I was thinking of all the weird callers that called last night, all the funny callers, all the serious callers, and I, and uh, that doesn't ring a bell. I don't remember saying anyone to – I mean, it's possible I said something jokingly, but – you know, let me just say, don't show up at Karen's home. She doesn't need help. I don't want anybody showing up, and I don't want Karen blaming me. 800-848-9222, who's been holding the longest. Neil is on Staten Island. Hello, Neil. Good morning, Bard of Knowledge. <laughs> please. Uh, could you could you send Bob the Doe over to me, please? I need help with my Yiddish. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll do that, yes. <laughs> Thank you, Frank. Uh, you know, Frank, Florida has 21.5 million people. Now, the government is squeezing out gasoline vehicles and forcing people to go electric. Now, when you have a natural disaster like a hurricane where power goes out, you've got to be at least a million of these 21 million people, at least a million, probably a lot more than a million vehicles. How do they charge up and evacuate without being stuck there and, and Dying. Well, Neil, I think your question's more rhetorical rather than one that requires an answer from me. You're exactly right. I mean, you've put your finger on one of the many problems with electric with electric vehicles, right? And I'm not against electric vehicles if that's what people want to do. But um, as you know, Trump and uh, John Katsimatidis covered this in their discussion, and um, there's a lot of pitfalls, namely the fact that as of now, the way the technology is now, the way the tar- charging stations are now, you can't drive. For more, for more than a couple hours, and that's a fair point. If there's no power, where are you going to charge your vehicle? All right, we have a first-timer. We're sorry. Nick is in Maryland, Charm City yeah. from WCBM. Hello there, Nick. Sounds good. Nice to talk to you. Nice to talk you to do, you. You do a good show every night. Thank you. I was wondering, would you ever like to interview 
George Norrie. Well, sure, I'd be happy to interview him. You know, he's on at the same time I am, so that yeah. might be very difficult. I have a lot of respect for George Norrie. He's done a lot of great things in radio. Uh, he is one of the most listened to. He is the most listened to overnight radio uh, host in the whole country. So you can't knock it. Um, I did get to interview Art Bell, who really kind of built that franchise. And uh, to me, that's when that show was at its best, when Art Bell was hosting it. But I'm not knocking anything George Norrie's been able to do. Look, you know, the bottom line is anybody that does this and does it well makes it sound easy, but it's not easy. And if you can have the kind of success that George Norrie has had on that many stations, uh, that kind of revenue success, that kind of rating success, that many stations that want him on, uh, look, hats off to him. Hats off to him. 800-848-92. Two two. Uh, let me say hello to very quickly. I'm going to try and run through these. Howard in Elmhurst. Hello, Howard. Hi. How are you? Hey. Um, I'd like to know what what three books would you recommend that best describe our current political situation? Um, you know, a book that was recommended to me of all people by Steve Bannon, and I got a lot out of this book, is called um, "The Revolt of the Elites." And the Betrayal of Democracy by Christopher Lash. And if people are are Democrat and they don't like Steve Bannon, it's not a right wing book, but it is a book that does a good job getting into the uh, the nuts, the nuts and bolts of um, some of the problems in politics these days. Another one is The Deep State by Mike Lofgren. And another one that I'll mention is um, by Peter Kiernan, Becoming China's Bitch and Nine More Catastrophes that um, we must avoid right now, uh, Peter Kiernan. Those three books are a good place to start, I think. All right. Um, you know, those of you that are on hold, if you want to keep hanging, you guys can be grandfathered in. Otherwise, no more questions. Um, Matt Blaze, do you have a winner? Bill from Huntington about Superman and his concern for Lois Lane. Really? That's what you guys came up with? All right. Bill from Huntington, call back. Uh, much, I, I don't agree with this decision, but... Call back and give yourself a get a get a prize. Until next hour, keep asking questions. This is the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now here's Frank Morano. So we are still keeping an eye on uh, what's going on in Florida, and it looks like uh, Hurricane Ian is making its way up the coast now to South Carolina. It is uh, once again, as I understand it, it is once again a hurricane. It was a tropical storm, and I don't even really understand how these things become hurricanes. I think it has to do with wind speed and things like that. But as I understand it now, it is once again a hurricane, and it is now making its way to South Carolina. And uh, if there's anybody in South Carolina or Georgia or Florida that's been through this, uh, you're welcome to give us a call and share your perspective. I think there's a lot of folks around the country that would be pretty curious to know what it's been like going through this. I was just texting with um, a friend of mine that lives in an area that was very hard hit by this, and I asked him to call in at uh, it, this right now, but he said he's um, he's exhausted. He spent the whole day picking up debris, and uh, I, I couldn't blame him for wanting to go to sleep instead. And you know, I was talking to my father and stepmother. They are in they're in Orlando. They say it's going great over there. 
they said the the biggest problem they've had. They said Disney has been phenomenal. They sent a photo to my siblings and me, and they said that uh, they're roughing it at the Enchanted Rose, plastic only, no glasses, no glass. That's the extent they had to have drinks in plastic instead of glass. That's the the, the difficulty that they've been experiencing in Orlando. So they gave Disney very high marks for their handling of this. But so far, they are attributing 19 deaths uh, to this storm. Hopefully that number turns out to be high. But as of now, that's where they are. They're attributing 19 deaths to this. And it's now heading to South Carolina. We'll keep an eye on it. We'll bring you any information as it comes. And you're welcome to call in at 800-848-9222. One thing on this front that I did want to share with you is there was an article today in Politico that this storm has sort of represented a sea change when it comes to politics. Because it used to be when you had a serious natural disaster like this, and Hurricane Ian fits the description, forced airports to suspend operation, roads and bridges closed, hotels and resorts turning tourists away. But with all that, This life-threatening hurricane was not enough to stop campaigns from both parties from airing ads both on television or digitally, including negative ones. Even as Ian spawned tornadoes and brought torrential rain and storm surges to Florida, you still saw Republican Governor Ron DeSantis, Republican Senator Marco Rubio, Democratic Congressman Val Demings, who's running for Senate, all continuing to run ads during the storm. Now, Val Demings did ultimately pull pull the ads from the Tampa and Fort Myers markets where the storm is expected to cause the most damage. And I'm curious what you think of that. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. My view is it's pretty low class, honestly. I think if you were, if you did want to run an ad, if you're a politician uh, saying something to the effect of we're wishing everybody the best of luck and it's crises like these which show the importance of strong leadership and strong uh, crisis management skills and that's why we need mature administrators in office and that's why you should vote for me, I think that's one thing. But if you're just going to run a routine mudslinging negative ad attacking your opponent, I don't think that's um, I don't think that's an appropriate thing to do while people are watching television, waiting to see how high the storm surge is going to be, how long they're going to have to be away from their home, whether or not their car gets submerged by a storm surge. I don't think that's an appropriate thing to do. And I'm curious where you come down on this. No judgment either way. I'm just kind of curious how people think about this. 800-848-9222. A fella that um, has never been one of my favorites um, is somebody that I ended up agreeing a great deal with yesterday, and that's former governor of Florida, Jeb Bush. What he said yesterday was, I think campaigns should shift to helping what will be hundreds of thousands of Floridians that will need a lot of assistance. Um, I agree with that. I, I think that's what the campaigns should be doing, working on helping people, 
not working on getting negative ads on television to take advantage of the fact that everyone's watching this weather coverage and put on these ads slamming their opponent. Uh, curious what you think. 800-848-9222. Steve Vancor, a pollster and longtime campaign consultant who's worked for Democrats and nonpartisan candidates, said campaigns continuing to push ads during a major natural disaster speaks to the evolving nature of politics. Quote, there once was a time when there was a natural disaster that everyone would drop everything, at least for a few minutes. Those norms are now out the window. He's right. We are in a new world, and I don't think this is a better world as it relates to these things. What do you think? 800-848-9222. Besides televised ads, some campaigns are also emailing and texting voters asking for money, and campaign staff continue to post on social media. I recognize that these elections are important and that uh, folks want to make sure they're reaching out to voters and doing whatever they can to get their message out. That being said, it just strikes me as kind of Bush League. Right? Pardon the pun when we're talking about Jeb Bush. But um curious what you think. 800-848-9222. Coming up in about uh, two hours, we're going to talk with Martha Byrne. I don't know if you remember Martha Byrne, but she was an Emmy Award winning Soap opera star whose husband was a decorated NYPD sergeant. And we did a lengthy interview with Martha Byrne in which she made, I think, a very compelling case that her husband was being targeted by the FBI unfairly. And her husband's been arrested. He's under he's facing uh, he's in some trouble now, currently incarcerated. And she's trying to uh, get the word out about his case. So she's going to join us in about two hours with uh, an update on how things are going for for his case. So I'm looking forward to that conversation. We also have um, we also have denunciations coming up in about 45 minutes. Let me say hello to Leo on the Upper West Side. Hello, Leo. Good morning, Frank. Uh, I just commented about the about the political ads run during the the hurricane. I believe that actually the politicians, uh, their uh, people make deal, some contract with the TV, and once the, it's approval for a particular uh, ad, doesn't matter if it's positive or negative, it's for that particular one, and they have some deal, they pay a lot of money for hours. When it's going to be run, how often during that day, I think it's out of the hand of the politicians at that time. Well, no, I mean... Um... That's that's not true. The and I, I know this having worked on radio for a long time. The politicians can pull their ads. They can say, "Look, I don't want my ads running anymore," and they stop running them. I mean, but um, you're right. These are all ads that were, they had already previously bought time for. I get that. But uh, if the politicians wanted, they could stop running ads. Um, I mean, nobody forces them to keep their ads running. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Norman is in Brooklyn. Hello, Norman. Hello, Frank. Yeah, I was telling the screener, in addition to me being a pesky WABC caller, uh, I'm also a hurricane survivor of Hurricane Sandy. Uh, I had, uh, oh, my God, uh, I had six feet, five and a half, six feet of raw sewage in my house. Uh, everything was wrecked. Um, I was homeless living in a FEMA hotel for right, six months. Right, I heard you describing was... this to Rita the other day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah, that was the other day. So, but basically, um, I don't have any problem with the ads. Uh, I think that's the, it's the world we're living in, Frank. We're not going back to the, uh, we're not going back to the nice time. 
and I think it's a war. And uh, from my perspective, I, you know, I think I'm the, I think I'm on the good side, and I don't have any problem if the good side is doing everything they can to win. And that's it. And so that's this is my opinion. Well, but it's so. also the people that you that you think are on the bad side that are running ads as well, doing everything they can. You know can what? Do. That's the way. That's the way it is, Frank. That's the that's the world we live in. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Norman. It is the world we live in. I don't think it should be personally. And so uh, while I'm no great fan of Jeb Bush, I tend to agree with him on this. Hey, a couple of other quick things that I want to bring to your attention and you can you're welcome to call in. We have eight open lines if you want to jump on board. But I saw one article a couple of days ago that really piqued my interest. You know, one of the things that has seemed to unite people of all ages, people of all, Americans specifically, Americans of all ages, Americans of all political persuasions, Americans of all um, ethnicities is that they were all pretty pessimistic. They did not think the country was going in the right direction. Well, now, interesting, the mood in the U.S. has ticked up a little bit because of these lower gas prices. And um, American satisfaction with the way things are going is back to where it was in April. Before gas prices pushed this, um, pushed, you know, the measure to record lows, meaning the measure of how optimistic you were about the future. So I would think that politically it helps Biden and the Democrats ahead of the midterms. But even with the recent brightening, satisfaction has averaged 18 percent so far this year, putting it on pace to rank among the lowest yearly averages, along with 1979 2008 and 2011, and we all remember what happened in each of those years. The historical average, um, as measured by Gallup, since they first asked the question in 1979, is 36%, but it's also been significantly less than that um, since 2006. So there's that. All right, 800-848-9222. The other interesting article I wanted to bring to your attention is I I read the – the Marshall Project. I don't know if you're familiar with the Marshall Project. It's it's a, a newsletter essentially and a website that deals with criminal justice issues. And I read this article by Eric Borsuk, who I don't think he's still in prison. I believe he's out of prison, but he went to prison. And the headline of the article was "The Art of Bidding," or how I survived federal prison. And this is what he writes. And I'm not going to read the whole article, but I'll read a portion of it. The first time I heard someone use the term bid was on my first day in federal prison, just four days before my 21st birthday. It was after the intake process, after I was fingerprinted, strip searched, photographs, and given an inmate ID card, an orange jumpsuit, and a roll of bedding. Before any of this, I'd been instructed by my pre-sentencing probation officer that I could bring absolutely nothing with me to prison, just your body. He'd said so he left his eyeglasses home, assuming that he'd be issued a new pair. He walked blindly through a labyrinth of buzzing steel doors deeper and deeper into the compound. When he asked about receiving a pair of glasses, one of the guards told him he'd have to wait until next year since the eye doctor only came around once a year and he'd just recently visited. So he said, this is what he writes, shuffling down the blurry corridor in my cheap prison-issued slippers, also known as Bruce Lee's, 
I was eventually handed off to a nearly identical stout, bald guard at E-Unit. He unlocked the heavy door using an old steel key like a cliched prison movie scene. Everyone stared at me, the fresh meat. As he led me through the unit to my cell down the bleak concrete hallway, it was hard to fully comprehend that this was my new existence, my home for the next seven years. Once the guard was gone, a few guys cornered me in my cell and demanded to see my paperwork. The documents new arrivals receive, which detail their criminal charges. This is prison's version of a a welcome party, which shows up mostly just to find out if you're a pedophile. And this task is usually carried out by a group of guys from one's hometown, which is easy to learn since the last three digits of your ID number indicate which district court handled your case. So that's interesting. I actually, for all the time that I've spent visiting prisons and talking to prisoners, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. So then... He goes on and on and on. It's a good article. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll share it on Facebook, facebook.com slash Fan. He writes, most new guys just end up lying in bed on their first day. The bunk becomes a sanctuary, a safe space where they hide from others as well as a new reality, as if you could just go to sleep and one day wake up and suddenly everything will be back to normal. After watching me lie in bed all day, my Sally, a skinny middle-aged dude from Detroit, tried to offer some words of encouragement. Man, you got to get a bid, he said. What's that? You know, a bid. It's how you do your time. We went back and forth on the details. It seemed like an arcane term that didn't really make sense until you'd lived in the system for a while. But from what I could gather, the word seemed to derive from the noun bit pertaining to the length of a prison sentence much like a stretch or a stint, something like that. This seven-year bit is an effing bummer. Bid was something entirely different, more like a purpose or a raison d'etre. It was all about how you did your time, like finding a hobby or hustle to get you through your bit. For many guys, it was about winning no matter what the endeavor was. Others just wanted to make money. Some guys used it simply to occupy their minds. For everyone, though, it was all about escaping the slog of captivity. My celly told me he bid off a lot of things, but mostly just gambling. Although he did like to dabble in some prison hooch from time to time, he said, if I could find this thing, this sense of purpose, it would make all the difference in my life. Without it, he said, my sentence would feel like endless misery. Quote, do the time. Don't let the time do you. All across the compound, there were countless ways of bidding. From gambling to religion, education to gang life, sex, art, and prison jobs. The average prisoner only made about 10 to 50 cents per hour. Sports were a popular way to bid. Sometimes nearly the entire compound would come out for basketball games between cell blocks with with stakes high enough that the court would be encircled by guys shouting and cheering and spilling out of the court itself. You rooted for your cell block no matter what, and over time couldn't help but develop an allegiance to it. Weightlifting was popular. Um, the, all sorts of other things like that. Cooking, making homemade cooking. Some guys bid off in gambling on the games, basketball, softball, soccer, um, a bunch of other things. So it got me thinking, if I was sent to prison... What would my bid be? And I'm curious if you've given this some thought. If you got sent to prison, what would your bid be? What would you do? 
to pass your time. Now, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this, even before this article, and, and this article forced me to think about it even more. And the the three things that I've come up with are I would um, I would catch up on a lot of reading. I currently have an enormous amount of books, and I'm adding to this book collection on almost a daily basis. And I have more books than I can read in a lifetime, as it stands now, under my current. First of all, I haven't been able to finish any books lately, uh, which kills me because I used to really enjoy reading. But my whole day is just um, packed. And uh, whether it's working or driving to work or looking after Carmine or trying to sleep or whatever the case may be, I have very little time to read. So I would spend a lot of time reading. And why I, I don't pretend to be a great softball player or a great ping pong player I do enjoy both of those things. So I would try to spend a lot of time um, playing softball or playing ping pong, both of those. Although uh, my friend Tommy Gioli, he got injured, broke his knee playing ping pong because there was a puddle that the prison officials refused to take care of. So even that you had to be careful with. But uh, those are the three things that most immediately come to mind for me is I would do some reading, maybe some writing. There's always a lot of letters that need to be written and uh, some softball and some ping pong. Curious what you would do. What would your prison bid be? How would you spend your time? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Matt Blaze, what about you? You ever think about this? I was uh, in conversation with Alex ah, about other show-related things. What were the other show-related things? Uh, about what we're going to do later for the show. Interesting. What are you going to do later for the show? Well, that's a secret. <laughs> Can't wet everything out of the My bag. goodness. All right, 800-848-9222. I'm curious what your prison bid would be. How would you spend your time in prison? Um, I'd love to hear your ideas straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Gomez, who I'm now a fan of. I'm a, a salinator and a great song, um, Rare. Interesting thing about this song. In the year 2020, to what's today, at least on the East Coast? Today is September 30th. Um, in the year 2020, this song was the 30th most popular song of the year. And so was um, the song Fireflies by Owl City that we played uh, that we played earlier. That was from the 30th most popular song of 2010. So aside from that Ian song that we played in the first break, we're trying to play all of the songs over the last, you know, few decades that were number 30 
in the year that they were released. And this this song by Selena Gomez was the 30th most popular song in the year uh, in the year 2020. So that's um, one of the many reasons that we're playing this song. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. If you want to email me, you can at uh, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. I'm curious if you went to prison, um, what your prison bid would be. How would you pass the time? Because as that cellmate told this fella, Eric, he said, if you don't um, if you don't do the time, you have to do the time so the time doesn't do you. What would you do? 800-848-9222. My big three, uh, reading, softball, ping pong. And I'd probably, I'm sure, do some gambling as well. Uh, and if you've been to prison, I know we have a lot of listeners that have been to prison. If you've been to prison, what did you do to pass the time? Alan is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, Alan. Yes, yes, Frank. Um, I, I, I've been to prison. And uh, first of all, reading is big. You know, I read a lot of books, um, you know, couldn't couldn't get enough of them. Um, and then, um, you know, then other than that, I, I did a lot of kitchen work. You know, I did, um, you know, all the shifts I could do in the kitchen. And by doing that, it was also a hustle. You know, sometimes you bring back uh, stuff that people need and, you know, you get paid for it in commissary and stuff like that. So it was a bit of a hustle. I spent my time doing that. And then other than that, uh, working out in the yard any, t- any chance I could get. And how long and were you in prison for, Alan? Uh, two years. Two years. Okay. So it wasn't yeah. uh, an insurmountable sentence. And you, you found yeah. that the combination of working in the kitchen, working out in the yard, and reading, did you find that it really did help pass the time? Oh, yeah, for sure. It, 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 it kept you busy and, you know, every day just went by, you know, with that schedule kind of, so to say. What did some of the other guys do? What were some of the other things people did to pass the time? Um. Well, either people, um, you know, people got jobs usually the past times or others got no jobs. And they just basically, you know, um, you know, they were full time, maybe you could say gamblers or, you know, they just watched TV and did nothing, you know, just uh, idly, you know, you know, did nothing, you know, really just, you know, watch TV and, you know, just wasted their time doing nothing, not, didn't read or nothing, just, you know, just sat in the day room. Yeah. Uh, uh, how did did was radio big in the prison that you were at? Oh, huge. Radio is huge. <clears throat> Basically, every everybody, everybody gets a, everybody uh, buys or gets a radio, even starting from, you know, Rikers Island. You know, you get um, they call it a whip your car. So it's, uh, you, you know, you start you start uh, radio in the county. But, yeah, you know, radio is very big and in, in having a radio. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, everybody has a radio, um, you know, and you use that, you know, because always the day room's not open, the TV's not always available, or there's lockdowns in your cell. So, you know, the only form of entertainment or whatever you can have is uh, is radio. Interesting. Uh, my, my one little problem is, is because uh, I love talk radio, the AM uh, doesn't come in so well in, in the country up there. So it's uh, kind of, it was kind of rough. Well, yeah, no, I can imagine. Hey, Alan, I hope you're doing well now. I appreciate you calling. appreciate you sharing your perspective. No problem. Thank you. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Steve in New Jersey. How about you? Steve. Steve. Hello? Steve, go ahead. Be heard. Oh, yeah. Well, it, it, it's Gene, Frank. But, oh, um, Gene. Yeah, okay. Actually, you got Kenneth. It happens. Yeah. Yeah, well, I actually been to prison myself. I just came home last year in May. Uh, the way I did my time was uh, I was, let's just say, fortunate enough to actually have access to a phone. So I did a lot of Zoom calls, 
educated myself uh, so I could just come home and be a little bit more marketable. Um, I went to school for, believe it or not, uh, carpentry, electrical. Then when I came home, I did all the hands-on stuff. Uh, A whole lot of reading. I read more than I ever did in my whole life in prison. Yeah, that's Um, what, not that I would look forward to going to prison, but if I did go to prison, that's the thing that I would look forward to the most, is having the time to read. Is that an unreasonable expectation on my part? No, no, it actually takes you away. Like, the, the the books become movies. Like, it's it's crazy. No matter what you read, you can pick up anything. Like, I remember it was a time where we couldn't, I, I couldn't find any books. So I was just reading pamphlets. Uh, anything I could find, I was reading. Old, old stuff, people left in a cell, half-torn-out books. Uh, I don't know, it just became a thing. That and, and, and working out, just taking care of your body. How long, uh, I, how I, long were you away for? I was away for uh for two and a half years, two and a half years. It was my first uh my first time actually going through something like that. But um I passed the time. It, it, I, honestly, I I blinked and it was over. Really? So your two big yeah. things you were reading and working out, those were the two for you. Yeah, and I came home doing the same stuff. Yeah, well that's great. Right and, and 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 it helped I'm sure that you had access to that phone uh, that gave you sort of a portal to a lot of other things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Believe it or not, it's way, it's so much, so easy to have access to a phone. Oh, no, I believe it. Just like regular people. I believe it. Hey, uh, Steve, I hope you're doing well now. Thanks for listening and calling. Have a good one. Thank you. 800-848-9222. You know, um, if people want to call in, by the way, I'm not going to ask them what they were in prison for. I feel like that's kind of rude. If people want to call in and volunteer what they were in prison for, they can... They can add that. But, you know, I feel like um, usually if you end up in prison and then you're out of prison, you know, chances are that's not a time in your life where things were going really well. And it might not be a time that you look to relive every significant um, thing that led you down that path. So uh, I'm not going to I'm not going to belabor the point. BD is in Manhattan. Hello, BD. Hey, how are you, Frank? Thank you. Um, I actually have thought about it because I did go through uh, a terrible experience where I almost went in for seven years. Mm. Fortunately, by the grace of God, I did not. The truth was revealed and I was saved from it. However, um, the thing that I did think I would do would be utilize the benefits that I cannot afford to do on the outside uh, the first thing being go back to school, get the master's, get the Ph.D. I mean, that's what I would do uh, if I had to go in there for those seven years. And um, I would, you know, totally utilize that experience because the education, you know, is free. I wouldn't have to pay for it like I do now. Um, and I would focus on the Bible. I would concentrate and, and read scripture over and over again. I would try to go to a Bible study class. So it just focus on putting God first before all things and, you know, getting my education um, to the height that I've always wanted it to be and then hopefully live uh, to be able to come out and utilize it according to God's will. That's what I would do. Well, I, I think that's great. I, I think that's a really healthy attitude, both uh, in prison and uh, and outside of prison. So uh, good for you, BD. I'm glad you didn't end up in prison. I hope you stay out. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Likewise. Thanks for calling. 800-848-9222. Brian is in Denver. Hello, Brian. Hello, Frank. 
How you doing? I'm great, thanks. Uh, well, uh, during uh, my uh, stay in uh, prison, after I was allowed out of uh, solitary, the hole, I spent as much time as possible playing uh, chess and checkers with other inmates, trying to learn as much as I could about them, their psychology and their stories, to try to learn something while I was stuck there. And, you have a good night. And um, how long? Uh, how long were you in? Uh, about seven months. And did you find uh, that you were among one of the better chess players, one of the worst chess players, or about average? How did your chess skills compare to the other other inmates? Oh, I was the best. The best. I, I was. I was. I was. I was also a, a rap producer, a, a jailhouse lawyer, uh, and. Uh, um, because I was able to build a good rapport with the other inmates, when uh, one looked at me, you would think I would have had a much worse experience. But uh, the other uh, inmates trusted me, and so I was able to learn about their psychology and really dig into how they wound up there to, to see if I could learn from it and maybe use that knowledge one day to uh, make the world a better place with that well, that's knowledge. Great. That's great, Brian. I'm glad you're doing well. I'm glad you weren't cheating at chess like Hans Niemann may have been doing with his anal beads because I can imagine people in prison wouldn't take well to uh, cheating at uh, at chess. You know, it's funny. After listening to everybody, and if you want to weigh in, you can, 800-848-9222. I always, I'm frequently asked by people that love to cast judgments at others. Uh, and uh, I'm always asked by people, hey, why do you have so many friends that are convicted felons? Why do you have so many friends that have been in prison? And my answer, especially after talking with everyone I just spoke to, is what it's always been, which is, in my experience, the people that have been to prison are so much more interesting than the rest of the world. They really are. They have such not only a unique um, a unique perspective from having been to prison but the the kind of stories that they have from being in prison the stories that they have from the events that led them to prison the time that they've had to think being in prison it i really i'm i'm not being sticky or anything like that i really do find that the people that have been to prison are much more interesting than the general population i mean that Sincerely, 800-848-9222. We got uh, denunciations coming up in about 20 minutes. And then uh, in about uh, two hours, we're going to chat with Martha Byrne about her husband, who is he was a decorated NYPD sergeant. He's now in prison. So we'll get into that. Um, If you want to find me on Twitter, you can do so at Frank Morano. That's Frank M-O-R-A-N-L. I just linked uh, to this article about uh, this fellow that talked about how he found his prison bid. I just linked to that on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash Morano fan. That's facebook.com slash Morano fan. Let me take a quick break, and we'll continue with your calls in just a bit. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It takes two, it takes two, me and you. It 
This is Two to Make It Right by Seduction, which in 1990 was the 30th most popular song in the entire country. It is September 30th, so we figured we'd uh, pay tribute to not the best songs of any given year, but the 30th best song of any given year. 800-848-9222. We'll continue with your calls in just a moment. Uh, It is interesting. Yesterday was a big day in the Morano household because our cat Melchizedek needed to go to the veterinarian. And this is a cat that is very temperamental. This is a cat that um, is tough, is strong, is fiery, is very stubborn, very set in his ways, and very difficult to get in his cat carrier. So I was bracing myself when I got home this morning for a, a rough morning because obviously I can't go to bed until Rachel is able to get him in his cat carrier. So it was up to me to entertain and take care of our son while my wife went to great lengths to get this cat in the cat carrier. And lo and behold, there was some drama early on. She had to get, we have three cats and all. There was some drama early on in that um, one cat had to be locked in Carmine's room. One cat had to be locked in our bedroom. And the other cat, my wife had to lure into her office. And he knew something was up. He didn't want to be tricked. Ultimately, my wife got him into our office, got into her office. She douses the cat carrier with all sorts of pheromones, drenches it in pheromones. She closes the door to her office. Carmine and I are on the outside, and we're just waiting. We're just waiting for some chaos to ensue. Lo and behold, my wife emerges from her office. This is after less than an hour. Of this whole thing. And no exaggeration, it's taken us sometimes days to get him into his cat carrier. After less than an hour, my wife was able to get Melchizedek into his cat carrier. Wow. And a big day as well because our son took a two-hour nap, which actually might even be a two-and-a-half-hour nap, which gave her an opportunity to get work done, which was for the best because that means I got to sleep a little bit. And uh, I got to get in and do some work when uh, before I had to leave to see Tony Danza. And then um, ultimately, um, he's at the veterinarian. My wife gets the call that she, we knew he had to have some teeth removed. And he had to have some blood work done because he's lost some weight. He's lost about two pounds. And this was the cat that we had, had on insulin because we thought he was diabetic and then they found that he's not diabetic any longer, and we stopped giving him insulin. But my wife was concerned because of the weight loss. So the veterinarian calls my wife and says that they removed three teeth. Three teeth. I don't remember which ones. I think, well, whatever. Two, three teeth, and they were really badly infected. And the veterinarian said that he was already missing... 14 teeth, 14 teeth he was missing before they removed these three. So he had had, I think the last time he got teeth extracted at another vet, I think he had another, 
um, maybe another four or five teeth removed. So that means there's nine teeth, basically, that were unaccounted for. We don't know what happened to those other nine teeth. So anyway, cats have 30 teeth, and now he has had 17 teeth either fall out or be missing. And so my wife was very concerned. She felt bad for him. She considers Melchizedek her firstborn. She had him before our son. She had him before I was in her life, and she's very, very close to this cat. And I am too. Not as close as she is, but she was very concerned. She felt bad. And the vet's consoling her. He said to her that, uh, no, you know, it's going to be better for him. He was probably in so much pain, probably a lot of pain whenever he ate. His teeth were so infected. And um, the veterinarian told her what he was probably doing is not even chewing his food, probably just swallowing it whole because he was probably in so much pain because of these teeth. And my wife told me, she said, you know, I think he's right. I think that's what he was doing because I, um, whenever I would clean, whatever she was telling me, whenever I'd clean up his vomit, she would see that it was unchewed, that he would just cough up the cat food unchewed. It's kind of gross, but uh, that's what he would do. So hopefully, um, my wife feels bad that he's got so few teeth now, but she is, we are hoping that um, that uh, this will lead to him having a much healthier life. And the veterinarian theorized that part of the reason for the weight loss, it's going to take us a couple of days on the blood work, but she theorized that part of the reason for the weight loss was that he was in so much pain while eating that maybe he wasn't really eating that much. And because he was swallowing all this food whole, that um, maybe maybe that was leading him to vomit more of the food than he properly should be. So that was the situation when I left, um, and we were surprised that the vet bill was not three thousand uh, dollars. My wife was all set; she was ready to pay three thousand dollars. It ended up being only nine hundred dollars. So it was um, very interesting. Uh, it, only only when it comes to vet bills can you get charged nine hundred dollars and think you're getting something of a deal. So that was the case. And then <clears throat> my wife has been feeding. These cats outside of our house, she puts out cat food, a bowl and some water for these outdoor feral cats that, you know, hang out outside and they come by our house. They'll eat the cat food, drink the water and move on. And so we noticed that um, there could be multiple cats doing it. We think there's two that at least one of the cats didn't have their ear clipped. And if they don't have their ear clipped, that means they're not fixed. So my wife decided to put out a cat trap. So when I left last night, the, she put out not only the, um, the the food, but she put out a trap with tuna in it. And around just about a half hour before our show started, just about three hours ago, I see my wife, because we have these ring cameras, and I see her outside at way past her bedtime doing something. And I said to her, because you could speak to her through the camera, I said, honey, what are you doing outside at this time and she said there's a cat in there a cat was trapped so we she was successful in luring this cat that needs to be fixed into the the trap with the tuna and so she put him in our garage with the uh, a blanket over the trap so he doesn't freak out you got food in there and stuff so i think the plan is later today she's going to take that cat to be fixed so that's all our cat drama Uh, Picking up one cat from the veterinarian, 
getting his teeth removed, paying the vet bill, trapping this other cat, and uh, hopefully getting him or her, I don't know if it's a boy or a girl, getting uh, or non, non-binary, getting that cat uh, fixed today. So we'll see where that goes. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Paul is in Westwood. Hello, Paul. Yeah. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind? Not much. I, got, I dropped my phone. Hold on. Where did it go? Oh, I was in uh, I was in jail. I'll tell you, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. How long were you there for? Four years. Why was it the best thing that ever happened to you? I'd just gotten divorced after 18 years. Wife cheated on me. Lost everything. Mm. That's got you know with these people, which I shouldn't have. And it, I just got it wasn't a it was just drugs, you know, like not major drugs. I just you know, but they they hammered me. They gave me four years. I I took it, but I went in there like when you have nothing, then you get in a fight in jail. They throw you in. Let you go because <laughs> all right. Um, well, that is interesting. I wonder. If there's a way to use those same um, that same ability to reflect and to think that Paul benefited from in prison without having to go to prison. I mean, you'd hate to send everybody to prison just so they could think of it. I, um, you know, Catholics and I'm sure other religions as well, but Catholics are very big into the idea of a retreat. Right where you get away from it all and just do some praying, and um, I think this is part of the idea of no work on the Sabbath and no electronic on the Sabbath. And I have found that um, when I abstain from electronics after 10 a.m. on Saturday, that I have an opportunity to do some thinking as well. Not the kind of serious introspection that it sounds like Paul was doing, but uh, but it is interesting. Juliana is in Connecticut. Hello, Juliana. Hi. Um, I, first thing I want to say is about the woman that said she was going to go back to school and get her um, degrees and whatnot. Prisons don't offer anything like that. When I was last in, they closed the library, the haircut. You couldn't even find a book if you wanted to. They well, just make you sit in a cell all day. Some prisons do offer, um, you know, rem- remedial education courses and things like that. I think it's pretty you rare. To, you have to be a lifer. Yeah, but I think it's pretty rare to find a prison that would offer a Ph.D. program. But go ahead, uh, Juliana, tell me about your experience. I went for five and a half, basically. I was driving without my license, and every time I got back out, I kept doing it. And I had one cop that just kept following me, and it was three times. The first time I did 30, then I did um, – no, it was four times. I did a year, then I did 18 months, and my last one was two and a half. All for driving without a license? That sounds high. Yeah. yeah. Well, 30 days was my first one, like I said. The second time it was a year, third time was 18 months, the fourth time was two and a half. So I got to experience everything from parole to, uh, you know, living in a halfway house, all of that good stuff. But basically in the women's prisons, they don't offer anything. Well, so what did you do to pass the time, Juliana? Like you said, a lot of hustling, and I, I didn't need money, but it was just fun to do. And I learned how to play every card game there was, and bet and gamble and all that kind of stuff. Crochet was very big; you could sell whatever you made. They offered yarn, and everything was cheap on commissary, so it was easy to do yarn. But basically, just stay out of fighting is what you got to do. You know, don't get in fights. What's your favorite card game? Spades. 
Spades. Spades. Spades is fun. Juliana, maybe I'll see you in a casino sometime. You could teach me a thing or two. Probably will. Talk to you later. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Cece in Brooklyn. Hello, Cece. Hey, hey, thanks a lot for taking my call. I actually bounced between your station and the station you mentioned earlier, um, the co-station with George um, Nori and all. I bounced between the two, so uh, you broke that up just now. Thanks a lot, man. Um, the point of um, the, the prison thing, two scenarios I give you. Um, somebody that you uh, you probably remember him by name, Jason Williams, the basketball player sure. you might remember. Sure, of course, yeah. from the Nets. And he talked about prison, and he said, Bad as it was, he said it was the best thing he had done in his life. You know that? You know, I'm not surprised. I've heard that from a lot of people, Uh, a lot of people. And I'm just wondering, have you been to prison, Cece? Oh, no, I hadn't been. I just, uh, you know, you know know people who've been there. But that story um, he told, and that was a a wake-up, something to pay attention to, you know. It turned him around, you know. Yeah. His life was already good. He had the pro basketball, but he, I guess he got too relaxed, did whatever he wanted. Because you remember, he, you know, he caused somebody their life, and yep, he went yep. to prison. He, he said it was the best thing, you know. So that that one, um, a, a bad thing turned out good for him. But somebody else that I knew one on one went to prison, and um. He, it was a good thing for him because, like you with the books and everything, he went to prison and he studied. And um, he got into the printing. And for all that he did and it upbuilt him and all, you know, it turned out to be a bad thing for him. Well, uh, what happened? When he got out of prison, while he studied, he studied printing. But um, he said that when he got out, he came to find out that all that time that he put in there and he kept up his uh, his character and kept things good, he gets out and he finds out that the the books that they were teaching him from them, the work that he was doing, that thing had been um, so outdated that um, he couldn't get a job in the career. Interesting. Interesting. I, I didn't know that. That's uh, that's that's interesting to hear. Thank you, CC 800-848-9222. Mike is in Detroit, the land of Motown. Hello, Mike. Hi, Frank. It's Mike Porcelli. I'm in Detroit. Oh, what are you I'm doing in Detroit? I'm going for some advanced training on electric cars. Okay, okay. all I right. Was, I was getting I was getting you on my car radio until you got stepped on by the local station. Well, you got uh, while you're in Detroit, you got to get one of those uh, stations in Detroit to to carry our show out there. Okay. I'll see what I can do. But uh, relative to what your last caller mentioned about learning a trade, I would suggest that half the people in prison are there because they didn't have a, uh, you're br- a lot of job yeah. training programs in prisons. I would suggest that if people in prison took advantage of learning a good trade, when they get out, they can make twice as much money as the people that put them in prison. Uh, Mike, that is a, a great suggestion, and uh, you broke up a little bit there, but I think the totality of what you were saying was that, uh, you know, if you learn a trade before you go to prison, you can make some money and not have to, you know, resort to the kind of negative or destructive behavior that lands you in prison. Mike, thanks. Good luck in Detroit. Give me a buzz when you get back. Okay, thanks. All right, thank you. 800-848-9222. Baina has been holding for a while. Uh, let me say hello to Baina. Hello, Baina. 
Yes, hi, Frank. It's uh, Baina Patrice X. I just wanted to make a brief statement, a political statement about uh, the uh, about the prison. But before that, I'm I'm a scientist and I have a lot of training in science. You got to be careful, you and your wife, you know, especially with the baby, because those feral cats, uh, and even a domestic cat, can can get the fleas, and the fleas can get on you, Frank. God forbid, God forbid, your wife and even the baby, you know. So we have have to be careful with those 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 nice cats. You know, no, it's a it's a it's a great word to keep in mind. What else did you want to add, yeah. Baina? Sure, uh, just briefly, and, and again, it's Baina Patrice X. Uh, in the prisons now, um, Frank, as, as you probably know, you know, being in in politics and being very wise as you are about politics, the um, the uh, prisoners when they get out, and even I think before they get out, they can vote. So, you know, persons who are becoming politicians, they should know uh, that um, if they become a politician, that uh, the prisoners, uh, whether they're in or out, they will be able to vote also. The, uh, Baina Patrice, we- X, thank you very much. Um, the rules do vary from state to state. Most states don't allow you to vote in prison after you've been convicted. Before you can be convicted, you can't. Until then, your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Thanks for tuning in. It's Friday. It is Friday. T-G-I-F. If it's Friday, you know what that means. That means it is time for me to call out those that need some calling out. It's been a week, but it is once again time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents denunciations. Oh, that's right. A number of people that uh, that need to be denounced this particular week. You know, um, now I'll, I'll, I'm not going to make that a formal denunciation. I was, I was wavering, but I'm going to bring something to your attention a little later. I'll let you be the judge in terms of whether or not that deserves formal denunciation status or not. Stay tuned for that in about uh, in about 15 minutes. I'll bring that to your attention. All right, I uh, must begin with the the House Republicans. Uh, the House Republican Conference thought their agenda was quoting Abraham Lincoln. It was actually quoting a Lehman Brothers ad from the 1980s. So Kevin McCarthy, the House Minority Leader, was rolling out their new platform And uh, I agree with Tucker Carlson that really it's kind of a whole lot of feel-good stuff, a lot of nothing. The commitment to America. And they included a quote attributed to Lincoln. This is what Kevin McCarthy said. Commitment is what transforms a promise into reality. Now, again, they're calling their whole agenda the commitment to America. So a great Lincoln quote, first Republican president, that would be great. 
But the problem is Lincoln didn't say that. Now, you'd think if you're going to quote Lincoln, wouldn't you double check to make sure Lincoln didn't say it? So the quote appears often attributed to Lincoln on social media, but a review of historical records turned up no proof uh, that Lincoln had ever said it, but it was used in a Lehman Brothers ad in 1986 in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, So, guys, get your Lincoln quotes straight. I want to denounce, so um, Minority Leader McCarthy, I do denounce you. I must also denounce a former congressman by the name, uh, this one a Democrat, by the name of Michael Ozzie Myers. Does that same name sound familiar with you? Anybody? Anybody recognize that name? Anyone? Well, you probably do recognize that name if you were, if you're over the age of, I'll say, 50. Because then Congressman Michael Myers, not the Halloween villain, not the star of Austin Powers, but the congressman, a Democrat from Pennsylvania, he was expelled from Congress back in 1980 for taking a bribe in the FBI Abscam case. He went to prison for two and a half years for Abscam, taking bribes from FBI agents. And now this former congressman, you'd think if you're a corrupt politician and you get caught with something like that, You would do like Paul in Westwood or any of these other guys, and you would use this as an opportunity to turn your life around. You'd think you'd lead lead a monastic existence from then on. All the gifts that God has given you, clearly the guy's a smart guy. Well, all evidence to the contrary in the story I'm about to share with you. Um, Speaks well, knows, knows the law, knows how to make laws, clearly knows how to count money. Well, now... Former Congressman Myers is going back to prison because he actually was involved in this ballot stuffing operation in Philadelphia. He's admitted to this, and he worked with election officials to pad the vote tallies of his political consulting clients who were running for city judgeships. He's admitted to this. And the judge asked him, when he sentenced him, did you learn nothing from this? So he would, Myers would solicit payments from his clients in the form of cash or checks as consulting fees and then use portions of these fees to pay election officials to tamper with the election results. So, Congressman Myers, off to prison with you. I do denounce you. I must denounce Amber Rose Barnes of Montana. She proudly posted a photo on Facebook of herself posing and smiling with the... I I don't know where they find these people. With the corpse of a dog that she had murdered in the woods and skinned. She killed something that she thought was a baby wolf and flaunted the dead, mangled body of her victim for all the world to see. Now, all by all accounts, this was not a baby wolf. 
she killed a husky. Now, she claimed that uh, she killed this animal in self-defense. I am absolutely not buying it because I don't think she would have skinned it afterwards. Um, she was well-equipped with a loud weapon and other hunting gear to scare a dog or a wolf away if she felt threatened. I think that she killed this dog in cold blood because in her first post, she refers to the war on wolves in Montana, which saw hunters kill at least 273 gray wolves last year. And it doesn't and she doesn't mention being afraid for her life. Well, whether it was a wolf, a baby wolf, as she said, or a husky. uh, Amber Rose Barnes killed and skinned this animal and paraded it on social media like a trophy. And to me, that is just reprehensible. I do denounce you. I must also denounce Ramon Calzada Rosette and Jamie Ray Wilson. I, I don't know where they find these two winners, but um, these people are really just horrible people. Um, both of these people were... Um, This is a St. Paul, Minnesota woman and her boyfriend. They tortured two of her relatives who were children. So they're being prosecuted for child torture of a two-year-old and a five-year-old. A five-year-old girl and her two-year-old brother were beaten and burned over several days at the hands of their aunt and her boyfriend. I cannot imagine this. You know, I I am not a big believer in sending a lot of people to prison. This is, these are exactly the type of people that belong in prison. I I mean, I think prison should really be reserved for folks that if they're out there in society among us are going to hurt people. And clearly this is, these are not people that have any business um, in organized society. So Roman, Ramon Calzada Rosette and Jamie Ray Wilson, I do denounce you. I must also denounce ultra-processed foods. Yes, they may be tasty. They may be foods that we eat every day. But the more research co- that comes out about these ultra-processed foods, they are almost the worst thing that you can eat. They're linked with all sorts of chronic diseases and Higher risk of early death. These foods represent an increasingly large share of the world's diet. Almost 60% of the calories that adults in America eat are from ultra-processed foods. And this is not something that seems to be improving. And um, it leads to type 2 diabetes. It leads to obesity, heart disease, hypertension, And colon cancer. So um, stay away from those ultra-processed foods. A lot of the industrial concoctions, you know, stay away from Frosted flakes, hot pockets, donuts, hot dogs, cheese crackers, boxed macaroni and cheese. Those are all examples of ultra-processed foods. They're loaded with preservatives. They're really bad for you. Uh, And I do denounce them. I must also denounce Gulfport, Mississippi, M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I. 
Gulfport, Mississippi is the worst city in the entire country for people with disabilities. According to a, the findings of a new report, the personal finance website WalletHub compared more than 180 U.S. cities across 34 key indicators of disability friendliness, including wheelchair-accessible facilities per capita, the rate of workers with disabilities, and the quality of public hospital systems to determine the best and worst U.S. cities for people with disabilities. And lo and behold, Gulfport, Mississippi was dead last in terms of being friendly for people with disabilities. So if you're disabled, stay out of Gulfport, Mississippi. For those of you in Gulfport, Mississippi, I do denounce you. I must also denounce the people that are looting in the midst of this hurricane. I just am perpetually, simultaneously astonished and not surprised at all that this happens whenever there's one of these serious hurricanes. Lee uh, uh, Officials from Lee County, where Ian made landfall as a Category 4 hurricane, announced a curfew on Wednesday. Officials noted during a press conference that they're also coordinating plans to help residents and will dispatch first responders. And lo and behold, this is one of these people, this is one of these places where there was all sorts of looting. Looting and other crimes as well. So um, I just no, I just don't understand it. I mean, you got to be a really reprehensible person to use the occasion of a life-threatening hurricane to go out and steal from people and loot. So for those of you that are hurricane looters, I do denounce you. And finally... I must denounce the Miami Dolphins. Uh, They played last night. And what happened was this. The quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, uh, everyone calls him Tua. I believe his last name is pronounced Tagavala. uh, Tagavaloa. Tagavaloa. Tua Tagavaloa um, suffered a concussion last week. He should absolutely not have been playing in this game last night. And everyone in the world called this out before the game. Well, the Dolphins played him. They And he was slammed to the turf by another player. And he had to leave the game on a stretcher. He was placed on a backboard and had to leave the game on a stretcher. Um... Every neuroscientist in the world, appropriately so, called the Dolphins out on this. Um, Mr. Uh, I think Chris Nowinski, who's with the Concussion Legacy Foundation, he's the co-founder of that. He's also a neuroscientist. Three hours before kickoff, Nowinski warned that he shouldn't play. If Tua takes the field tonight, it's a massive step back for concussion care in the NFL. This is what he tweeted. If he has a second concussion that destroys his season or career, everyone involved will be sued and should lose their jobs, coaches included. We all saw it, even though even they must know this isn't right. Shortly after Tagovailoa's injury, Nowinski took no pleasure in being right. Instead, he told people to get angry. 
Um, Tagovailoa sustained neck and head injuries and was taken to a hospital for further evaluation. I mean, this is just reprehensible. In my view, this guy is 24 years old. Not only could his season be over, his career could be over. His life could be irreparably damaged because of the selfishness and the greed of the Miami Dolphins. So, Miami Dolphins, I do denounce you. All right. Um, that uh, that does it for denunciations for today. Uh, if you want to comment on anyone I have denounced, you're welcome to call in at 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. White spats and lots of dollars Spending every dime For a wonderful time Now if you're blue And you don't know where to go to Why don't you go where fashion sits Put no lips. This is Fred Astaire Different types who wear a day coat Pants with stripes or cutaway coat Perfect fits Putting on the Ritz. Um, this Fred Astaire uh, singing Putting on the Ritz. Not singing it as well as uh, Gene Wilder and uh, Peter Boyle do in Young Frankenstein. Am I right? But um, singing it quite well. This song was, uh, believe it or not, the 30th most popular song in the year um, 19... 1940, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so uh, there was a lot of different versions of this song, but uh, that was the uh, that was the version that was the 30th most popular song. It might have been 1930. 800-848-9222. Hey, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, I think a lot of people, uh, just about everybody knows who Arnold Schwarzenegger is, right? One of the biggest stars on the planet. Started out as a big star in the world of bodybuilding, made the transition. And again, whatever you might think about Arnold Schwarzenegger, I happen to give a lot of credit whenever people are able to make a career transition successfully that way. Whether you go from, you know, like the, a guy like The Rock to go from the world of pro wrestling, first of all, go to, pro fo- to go to football, to pro wrestling, and then to the world of movies. Now he's the biggest star in the world. Arnold Schwarzenegger, same thing. The guy had a remarkable amount of success as a bodybuilder, one of the top bodybuilders in the world, had a remarkable amount of success as an actor, then on a huge, tremendous amount of success as a businessman, and then and a real estate developer, and then a lot of success in the world of politics, two-term governor of California. So um, whatever you might think of Schwarzenegger, I always give him a lot of credit for being able to do that being able to make that sort of career transition. I'm not getting into his politics or anything like that, but 75 years old and um, he visited the Holocaust Museum at Auschwitz, the Auschwitz um, Museum in Poland. And he signed the 
the guest book. You know, the guest book, you sign your name, short little message, or most people I would think would write something like never forget or always remember, whatever, something solemn and appropriate. Maybe you just write your name. Well, Arnold Schwarzenegger had an interesting little line that he wrote when he wrote his name when he signed it in the uh, guest book. Instead of just writing Arnold Schwarzenegger, Arnold Schwarzenegger wrote, I'll be back. That's what he wrote in the guest book at the Holocaust Museum. He wrote, I'll be back. So um, do you think that's inappropriate? 800-848-9222. I, um, I don't know how I feel about it, I have to say, because there were... I don't, I'm not somebody, first of all, at least he was going to this Holocaust Museum. He said he was going there to raise awareness about hate and intolerance and things of that nature. And that's a good thing. So um, because I don't like what he wrote, I don't know. So I, I don't want to jump down his throat for that. But a lot of people on Twitter did. Uh, people were calling that comment flippant. Another one wrote, not sure that the tone of that was entirely suitable Curious what you think at 800-848-9222. Do you think it's appropriate for Arnold Schwarzenegger to have written the words? Uh, Never mind. Um, I'll be back. I'll be back. So obviously this is something that Arnold Schwarzenegger says in a lot of movies. Um, Probably most famous for saying it in um, in the Terminator films. But he also said it in Last Action Hero. He said it in in several several films. Uh, the Expendables Two. I think he said it in. I think even in um, you know in Twins. He said it and he said it in a bunch of films. Commando. That's kind of his catchphrase in films. It would um, it would be like uh, it would be like me writing straight ahead. I guess. So I'm curious what you think of this. Do you think this was inappropriate, or are people making too big of a deal of this? 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. The Auschwitz Memorial, the Auschwitz Museum, they defended Schwarzenegger. They said, they put out a statement because there was so much criticism of this. They put out a statement that said the visit was planned to be relatively short. The inscription was meant to be a promise to return for another uh, and more in-depth visit. So, you know what? I, I accept that. I accept that. So the Auschwitz Memorial also shared that Schwarzenegger visited the site to honor all the victims of the camp and deepen his knowledge about history that would help him fight against prejudices nowadays. Yeah, I mean, look, Arnold Schwarzenegger obviously was originally Austrian, so Austria had uh, they played a very interesting role in terms of World War II and the Nazis. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, Arnold Schwarzenegger's father actually was, um, um, you know, he was he, he I think he was in the Nazi party. He was a Nazi. So it's all the more reason if your father's a Nazi that you have to go and kind of make a point about saying that you're against what the Nazis did and raising awareness about that. So I don't know. I'm willing to, uh, I mean, again, who am I to be sitting in judgment of anybody? But I I don't think there's, there's anything wrong 
with this. I, I accept the museum's explanation that this was going to be a short visit and he's going to come back in the future for a more in-depth visit. And again, at least he went. If, if the museum is saying it, yeah, then right. what's the... I mean, exactly. It, it would have been different if he would have wrote something like, get to the chopper! Right. You know, he's, I'll or be back. Hasta la vista, baby. Yeah, right, yeah, that, something like that. But saying, I'll be back, my first question was like, well, will he be back? Yeah. He's saying he'll be back. It's not that bad. 800-848-9222. Steve's on the Upper East Side. What do you think, Steve? Yes, I think it's uh, abomination. I think the uh, Jewish population should be outraged and should be banned from Hollywood. Well, a lot, uh, a lot of people are pretty outraged. The reason why is my cousin works in Hollywood, and he's, in, he's, um, he's Jewish, and he works in entertainment business. And I talk to him, he lives in California, and this is anti-Semitism exploding everywhere. You know, I mean, uh, this is crazy. I mean, this should be, I mean, the ADL has nothing to say about it. I mean, and they should definitely, uh, what's his name, um... So, I mean, uh, whoever runs it now, I expect the guy, but uh, the organization. So, basically, I think, um, you know, there's organizations like Chabad and other organizations, you know. I mean, this is outrage, I think. Uh, you know, Bill Maher was talking about this situation on the show, um, real time with Bill Maher. And he says that, uh, you know, oh, uh, you know, there's not including Jews in this new museum that doesn't recognize Jews as the founders of Hollywood. You know, yeah, yeah. I, I, I have uh, I did not see Bill Maher's comments on that, but I did follow this whole story. What about the explanation from the museum, Steve, that uh, this was meant to be a short visit? And the, his comment is indication that uh, he's going to be back for a more in-depth visit in the future. Well, that's an interesting point. Uh, he actually was covered on broadcast TV. His family were Nazis on a- right, uh, ABC with with. Yeah. You, you did mention yourself, and uh, basically, though, there's actually pictures of him doing a Nazi salute as kind of like a joke, which is kind of like very offensive on the internet, because he did the he did the Nazi salute when he was a bodybuilder, mm-hmm. and uh, and he said, "Oh, Hitler was a great motivational speaker," and he said, um, "Yeah, no, I'm I'm fam- thank you, Steve. I'm familiar with uh, his his quotes about various things over the years." I, uh, my, my goal in bringing this up is not to go back and review every single thing that um, Arnold Schwarzenegger has ever said, I, or I like to call him Arnold Vlaunschnagger uh, from that line of dialogue in Last Action Hero, which I think is very funny. But, um, I, you know, it's about this specific incident. I remember when um, Justin Bieber, this is years ago, more than 10 years ago, um, Justin Bieber, who was a very young superstar at the time, you know, they call the fans of Justin Bieber, they call them believers, right? And so uh, Justin Bieber signed the guest book at, Anne, at uh, Anne Frank's house. You know, Anne Frank, who obviously died as a child in the Holocaust. And he said something to the effect of, I'd like to think, uh, you know, so sorry to hear what happened to Anne. I'd like to think she would have been a believer. I thought that was really inappropriate. But again... I was willing to cut him some slack because he was a kid. You know, I mean, you always do dopey things when you're when you're young, right? Arnold Schwarzenegger at 75 years old, he doesn't get to plead the immaturity card, right? But um, I, I can understand why people are irked by it, but my view is this is not a big deal. Um, 
But I can understand why other folks may disagree. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Interesting thing. I, um, you know, I was going to the Tony Danza show last night. My friend Nick got tickets, right? And I was running a little late, hit a lot of traffic. And then I look at my phone. You know that football pool that um, that I am in each week? You have to get your picks in by 7 o'clock on Thursday. And this woman who runs the pool, Sherry, Sherry emails me and said, where are your picks? Where are your picks? Now, normally, and she's in Florida, so I can't really, I can't really reproach her for this. She's probably got no power. She's in the midst of evacuating from one place to another. Normally, if it's 7 o'clock and I don't have my picks in, she will call me and say, hey, it's Sherry, you know, you got five minutes. Give me your picks. And I uh, got no call, but I saw that she had emailed me that uh, that I had to get my picks in. So I'm in the middle of trying to walk to 54 Below, where the Tony Danza thing is, and hurriedly I'm trying to w- find a way to look at all the games on my phone and also send an email on my phone. And I I sent, I thought, all the picks in, and I found that I... By accident, because I was in such a rush, by accident, I uh, inadvertently picked both Denver and the Raiders, who are playing one another. My intention was to only pick the Raiders. Now, the game's not till Sunday. I really feel like she should let me get my pick in for the Raiders, but she sent the whole sheet out to everybody. I think it's probably too too late. So next week, I said I was only going to share with you my picks and my picking methodology on the air if I won this week. But... I'm afraid that the only way that I'm going to remember to send in my picks is if I do it on the air. So next week, next Thursday morning, I'm making my football picks on the air so that I don't forget and don't run into a situation. Because now that game doesn't count for me. Now I'm starting the season, well, I'm starting the week, down by one already. Can't afford to be down by one. So that's where we are on that. All right. Um, so I did get to see Tony Danza last night, and it was it was difficult leaving the house early uh, with Carmine and everything. But um, I have to tell you, he puts on a tremendous show, a really great show. I don't know if there's still tickets available for tonight's performance at 54 Below, but uh, if you get the opportunity to see Tony Danza, the guy is an incredible singer and an incredible storyteller. The way that he weaves songs and uh, stories together, it almost reminds me a little bit of Joe Piscopo, because obviously Joe's an old friend and a close friend, and I have seen his show many times, so I'm very familiar with Joe's show, and this is the first time that I've seen Tony Danza do this stories and songs, stories and standards, and uh, it was uh, really terrific. Uh, Not only did my friend Nick came, he bought dinner, which was very nice, I had the scallops. The food was good there. I don't know if you've ever eaten at 54 Below, but it was great. And uh, Donna from Huntington, a, a regular contributor to this program and one of our most steadfast supporters, she came out as well. So it was great to see her as well. She always uh, always brings a lot to the table. Great to see her. All right. Um, 800-848-9222. Oh, interestingly, tonight, my wife and I were supposed to go see Come From Away because it's leaving Broadway. Now, my plan was this. My plan was 
to go to the TKTS booth in Times Square, which you can use to buy half-price tickets that day for that day's shows. It's a great way if you don't have a lot of money but you want to see shows. It's a great way of not paying the exorbitant prices. And Come From Away has been on the TKTS booth. So um, I have the TKTS app where it says what shows are there. So my plan was this. My plan was we have our morning meeting, which we do after the show on Fridays, get some work done, get a little bit of a nap, and then walk over to Times Square to the TKTS booth and purchase some half-price tickets to come from away. Lo and behold, it's uh, not on the half-price board on the TKTS booth today, and it is sold out. So I can get tickets through one of these third parties, like uh, Ticketmaster or SeatGeek. You know what the tickets are going for for tonight's show? Including fees, $594 each. So, and and they, they say this on the SeatGeek app. They actually use the phrase, amazing deal. Now, if you're not so concerned with, um, you know, an amazing deal, you can pay $625 each, which includes $154 in fees. That is for obstructed view. So the show is sold out. The cheapest tickets are... Um, uh, $594. So I will not be seeing that show tonight. So I I said to my wife, because we had plans with another couple as well, I said, do you want to to see something else? You know, do you want to see Hadestown or something else? And uh, I think because we've both been running around like crazy over the weekend and spending money on babysitters and going out to eat and everything, that uh, we actually may stay in tonight, which would be nice. It's um, when I say in, I mean locally. We may get together with friends in the in the neighborhood, but uh, I think we both could use a little bit of uh, a break tomorrow. We're making the trip out to Long Island for uh, my uh, my sister in law's birthday, and then uh, and then Sunday, I think uh, I think my sister's coming over on Sunday. So that's that's my weekend. No show tonight. We're post show meeting. Catch up on some work. Hopefully, get some sleep. And then maybe even squeeze in some racquetball. And then on uh, Saturday, make the trip out to Long Island. So hopefully your weekend is equally as fulfilling. Hey, we'll take your calls in a moment. 800-848-9222. That's uh, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
This is Jermaine Jackson. He uh, was part of... This was, uh, in 1990, the 30th most popular song in the United States. So we're celebrating, in, since it is September 30th, we are celebrating the... Thirty most, the thirtieth most popular song. You, you just of said nineteen ninety. Nineteen eighty. Nineteen eighty. I meant to say. I, I don't remember what happened to that other, the younger guy from the Jackson Five, Michael or something. I don't know whatever became of him. But uh, clearly, Jermaine is still uh, still thriving, still thriving. Doesn't sound as good as Frank Diaz, who uh, when uh, we played his music yesterday got rave reviews. I must say, I, I don't want to create any inter office rivalries, but. So far, um, the reviews for the Frank Diaz song are, from my listeners that I've heard, are a little bit better than the reviews for that Alex Barnard song. So far. So far. That could change. But uh, it could be that maybe just death metal is not necessarily necessarily, uh, their thing. Alex Barnard not liking that that description. But I'm not saying it. People are. You want to put it to a, an actual vote? I mean, do, do I have... a side by side comparison? No, yeah. no, nah, nah, let's not do make that. a Facebook poll. Yeah, go ahead. You want to take the leadership of that, uh, Kenneth? You want to make a Facebook poll? Yeah, if you want to vote in terms of which song um, you think is is better, you can do so. Uh, just go to the Facebook group, and we'll set up a vote. Uh, just f- search on Facebook, Morano Radio Fans and Haters. You know, why not? We'll, we'll, can we play both of them real quick? Let's give people 30 seconds yeah. of <laughs> uh, of the mass murdering song by Alex Barnard and uh, 30 seconds of no mass murder by Frank Diaz. Uh, Let me pull them up. Okay, yeah, you get that together. Uh, meantime, there was an interesting um, – there's an interesting kind of war of words going back and forth between Tucker Carlson and – well, not really. It's kind of just one direction – uh, between Eric Bowling and Tucker Carlson. I'll share that with you in uh, in just a bit. And uh, if you want to stay in touch with me, you could certainly do so. I, I shared that article on Facebook, and you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Fan. It's facebook.com slash Fan. All right, what music do we have first, Matt? Matt? Uh, how you want to do Alex's song well, first? Whatever, I don't care. Yeah, go. we'll do Alex's song first. Go ahead. remind me of that Michael Savage theme song, Master of Puppets. Uh, the, the music part of it. The I like it. I like it. Um, it feels like Alex's throat hurts when he's singing. Did your throat hurt when you sang this? Nope. Not a bit. Uh, it, it hurt. My throat hurts. I have to, to I have to work up. I have to like work that up again. But okay. it, at the time, it didn't hurt him at all. You know what I don't get? And um, I like the song. I do. But you know what I don't get is... You have such a nice voice, right? I talk to you in real life and on the air, but and I think your voice is melodious. I think it's it's delightful, and yet I feel like you make your voice rough and unappealing for this song. Why not just 
sing the lyrics, as horrible as they are about, you know, killing people and everything, why not just sing them in your actual voice rather than no this rough affectation? Well, first of all, I'm, I'm glad you like my voice. I appreciate that. That's a high compliment coming from you. I like your voice, too. Oh. But um, I, it's just it's part of the style. Okay. You know? All right. Okay. Now, let me hear the Frank Diaz song. What is the name of the Frank Diaz song again? It's a cover. So he didn't write this. It's a cover of Thin Lizzy called Cold Sweat is the song. So I figure we got to deduct a couple of points because it's not an original song. Right. But um, he not only sang it, but he performed all the interest. Yes, he did. Right? So you got to give him maybe another point. So uh, he starts out at negative one, right? Okay. And and, uh, let's hear the Frank Diaz song. That's really good. That's really good. What do you think, honestly? Uh, I got to go with Diaz. You know, again, it's tough. They say you can't really compare artists. They're two very different styles, yeah. right? So it's like comparing um, the Beatles and Frank Sinatra, right? You, it's tough. It's so, true. Um, it's a great cover of a great song. I give him that. I, I know. That was kind of a left-handed compliment. You, you, no, no, no. You, like a smack in the face. Yeah, right. No, no, right, no. Right, right, Backhanded right. compliment. Yeah. I think it's. I think it's. He's looking at oh, me. Ideas wants to say something. Yeah, well, you yeah. can come in. Come in. Come in if you want. Um, why should Al, Alex doesn't ask anyone's permission to come in? Why, why should you? No, I mean, I, I just wave my hands up and yeah. you know, like an Italian. Uh, no, if we want to make this fair, I do have a number of original songs that oh. I've written. Well, let's hear some of those. So I'll send it. I have to send it to. Uh, yeah. now, you got to bring how, those in. How can people get your songs? You you know, go, your band is Lesbian Dance Theory, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. And no. where do they search you? If you go to SoundCloud, you look up Frank Diaz and probably the first one. Yeah. That's there. I actually said yesterday, I think you sound. You, you're you almost the opposite of Alex. I think you sound much better singing <laughs> than you do doing the news, honestly. <laughs> Boy, talk about a backhanded compliment. No, Frank. no, I'm serious. I mean, I mean, I, I, that's yeah. pretty direct. That's very <laughs> yeah, direct. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think. Uh, I, he actually, you can hear the lyrics, right? I, I, I it, Frank's song is more to my taste, right? right. So yeah. it's it, it's more my style I, of music. I, I think you would like this a lot more, also, because the song is about gambling, and I know you know. Yeah, no, no, no. It, yeah, that's, that's your point, right there. It's more to my taste. So I, if I, if I was going on a, you know, they used to do a show, Desert Island Discs. I think they still do it in Britain. Where you'd have to pick like the the songs that you take with you to a desert island. If they gave me a choice of the Frank Diaz song or the Alex Barnard song, I would take the Frank Diaz song because it's, it's more of my style. But I'm not really a death metal guy. So. Listen, no offense to no offense to Frank, but that'd be a pretty boring desert island if it was my desert <laughs> island. You know. well, that, the whole album that that uh, Cold Sweat is on is pretty good. There's also the last Thin Lizzy album ever. So, Very yeah. good album. Yes, I agree. I, I was gonna say right, like Frank said, they're both. Two completely different right. styles, right. but I will say this: I thought both gentlemen killed the guitar. Yeah, on I, their I respective songs. I agree with that. Absolutely true. I agree. Yeah, with that. Diaz can shred much better than I can. I think. So yeah, that's. I'll send. Uh, yeah, I'll send Blaze one of my songs. Yeah, in like please. five minutes. Yeah. Please, absolutely. All right, absolutely. Thank you.
Then we'll set up a proper poll. Yeah. And so who's who's tasked with setting up the poll? You I'll, I'll, I'll have to do it in the Facebook group. Yeah, so in the Facebook I will, group. I'll set up a proper poll. Okay. Um, so if you want to vote, go to Facebook, um, Morano Radio Fans and Haters. Please do not try to rig the vote as former Congressman Michael Ozzie Myers did in Philadelphia. And, um, you know, it's funny. I tweeted yesterday. And, again, I know I'm being shadow banned on Twitter. I know they don't let my tweets out there. But I tweeted yesterday some analysis from a journalist. And she is a pro-Russian journalist. She doesn't work for the Russian government, but she a lot of her commentary sides with Russia. And she talked about how she's observing these elections in these four breakaway regions of Ukraine. And she's not seeing anything about it being a sham which is what the international press has told us. No, I don't know. I'm assuming they are these these are sham elections. So don't say I'm defending what they're doing. I'm not. But so I retweeted that um her comments that the election was on the level essentially. And I said the Ukrainians are claiming that um, the election is being done using uh, Dominion and Smartmatic voting machines. Now, it was meant to be a joke. I'm not really making a comment about Dominion. I don't want to be sued, uh, you know, but uh, that was kind of fun. Hey, speaking of Russia, there is a war of words going back and forth. Well, one way, actually, between Newsmax host Eric Bowling and Fox News personality Tucker Carlson. Now, both of these guys used to be part of the same network. They both used to be on Fox News. They were colleagues. I don't know if they were friends. Um, I don't really know either of them. I, I've met both of them, but I don't know either of them. And um, I was talking, actually, with Jay Diamond as I was driving home yesterday. And, you know, the nice thing about everyone knows that they can reach me between 5 and 6 a.m., usually Fridays are a little different, is it does keep me awake, right, talking to all these people on the on the phone as I'm driving home. I don't have to worry about falling asleep while I'm driving. And... Um, Jay said, uh, in words of substance, did you hear about, you know, this uh, this criticism that Eric Bowling had of Tucker Carlson? And I said, no, what is it about? Russia? And he said, yes, how did you know? Sure enough, that's exactly what it was about. Newsmax host Eric Bowling uh, criticized Tucker Carlson in response to Russian state media using clips from Tucker's show that allegedly shows support of Russia's war on Ukraine. This is what, and I'm sorry I didn't get to play this yesterday, but I again, I didn't know about it. I don't watch a lot of cable news. I didn't know about it until Jay uh, brought it to my attention yesterday. Speaking on the show yesterday, Eric Bowling uh, called, well, let me let Eric Bowling speak for himself. This is from Newsmax TV yesterday. Turns out Russia's state media are using clips of Fox News' Tucker Carlson to support Vladimir Putin's war efforts in Ukraine. Look at that right there. See that? That's Russian state media using Tucker Carlson, alleged American, as propaganda to make their case that Russia is the victim, not the aggressor they obviously are. And again, last Thursday, Tucker Carlson again blamed Ukraine for starting the war, although Russia invaded her. Now, I have no problem with Eric Bowling calling out Tucker Carlson. I mean, this is what people in opinion journalism do you call out people you give your opinion and i i'm all for that you know giving different opinions on serious foreign policy issues i do have to say eric bowling's name calling which is what i call it of tucker carlson as an alleged american 
in my view, that is way out of bounds. That is way beyond the pale. How about saying, look, Tucker Carlson's commentary is so out of bounds, is so um, is so outlandish that Russian state media is using it as propaganda. How can you watch someone that's propaganda for a foreign government? I mean, that's all fine. But for you to say alleged American, come on, give me a break. And you would think somebody that has had the um, the kind of scandals that Eric Bowling has had, that that experience would have humbled him a bit and taught him not to rush to judgment about other people and not to re- go to the lowest common denominator. So I was very uh, – I don't watch Eric Bowling's show, but I was very disappointed to see that clip. I, I think that's the exact kind of thing we need less of in media these days, not more of. Hey, um, the, the uh, caller, the frequent caller, David in the Bronx, he sent me this uh, this great article – all about $2 bills. And I am a $2 bill evangelist. Whenever I go to the bank and I cash my paycheck or whatever whatever the case may be, the, the first thing, whenever they said, whenever they say, how do you want this back? I always say, give me as many $2 bills as you have. And the problem is with $2 bills, they people don't spend them. When they come across a $2 bill because they're rare, they hoard them. They keep them because they think they're more valuable or something. When they're not, they're worth $2. So because they, that what that does, because people don't spend them, that keeps them from going into circulation. But now that we're seeing inflation essentially make the dollar everything disappear, the dollar stores aren't dollar stores anymore. Dollar pizza has disappeared. Uh, even the dollar menu at McDonald's, which a lot of people are very fond of, a lot of this can now cost $2. So – Heather McCabe, she's a writer who runs a a blog encouraging people to use the $2 bill. I'm a fan of the $2 bill. I love the artwork on the $2 bill, on the back of it. I I think it's a great learning lesson about the Declaration of Independence. I like Thomas Jefferson. He's one of my favorite founding fathers, even though that's that's unfashionable to say these days. I love that he's on there. So I um, I try to spend $2 bills whenever I can. So I would encourage you to do the same thing. I'm going to invite this woman who runs this website. The website is called uh, Two Buckaroo, Heather McCabe. I've invited her on this program, so maybe she'll come on next week. But this is not a new issue for me. I have covered the $2 bill issue for a long time, and I always try to spend $2 bills and keep them in circulation, and I hope you do too. $2 bills account for just .001% of the $2 trillion worth of currency in circulation. So um, I don't know what it is, but uh, I I think years ago the $2 bill was considered bad luck and superstitious people would rip off the corners of the bill to reverse the curse. That's nonsense. If you get a $2 bill, spend it. If you go to the bank, ask for it. This way they'll have to order more and uh, we'll get them back in circulation. All right. 800-848-9222. Eight open lines. Uh, So feel free to comment on any of the issues that we've been covering. $2 bills, Eric Bowling, Arnold Blonschnagger, whatever the case may be. Janet writes on the Arnold Blonschnagger quote, Frank, there is no offense in this quote. What if he said, I will be back instead? 
What a difference showing how touched he was by the experience. It changes everything. Exactly. I mean, that wouldn't have, that's not a movie line. I will be back. I'll be back is the movie line. So a lot of people thought that this was just kind of, I don't know, him being an extension of his brand. So, all right, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Another big win for the New York Metropolitans yesterday against the Braves. I tell you, we are, this is a big series for us. Again, I, I use the term us like I'm playing. I'm not. Shockingly, but um, this w- the Braves are the only thing that can keep the Mets from finishing first in the National League East. So it's so important that we win this series against the Braves, and we got off to a good start last night. I may even violate my my rule of uh, not watching electronics on Saturday until until 10 p.m. so that I can watch the uh, the Met game. They're playing around 7:30 against the Braves. It's gonna be it's gonna be something. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. Hey, uh, in just a minute, we are going to bring you the latest on Hurricane Ian. We'll get the review of this week's pizza. And uh, we'll see what else people have in mind. Oh, and Martha, uh, excuse me, Martha Byrne is going to be here. Very much looking forward to that. So give us an update on her husband's case. In the meantime, in the words of the great Bob Barker, help control the pet population. Make sure you get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. side of midnight i'm frank moreno uh thanks for listening couple of quick notes one my thanks to someone who uh sent me an sms text message um and uh i i don't have this person's name but um the mets were off last night i was going on and on about how the mets won the first game of the series against the braves yesterday was thursday so they were off the first game of the series is against the Braves tonight. So they did not win the first game of the series against the Braves. They were, I don't know why I thought they won. I know they won the series against the Marlins before that. Of course I knew the Mets were off first. You know what I honestly think happened? I'm not joking here. I took about a 20-minute nap in my car before I came up to do the show last night. And I think I had a dream that they won. Because in my brain, I'm picturing them beating the Braves. But didn't happen. Uh, we're also uh, wishing the best for the Baltimore Orioles, who won last night, uh, who, who lost last night to the Red Sox. So they still are um, in the hunt for the playoffs, but after uh, losing to the Red Sox yesterday, it becomes a lot less likely. But uh, wishing the best for them. The other thing I was given a lot more thought to. I always some of the better questions. In the first hour of the Friday program, not like the ridiculous question that these three picked as the winner this week, 
But some of the better questions, I end up thinking about them for the rest of the show, sometimes the rest of the weekend. And I was thinking of the question from Mike in New Rochelle about my favorite radio DJs. And one that I also want to mention, in addition to the ones that I mentioned, I've always been quite fond of Meg Griffin, who's now on Sirius Satellite Radio. But she's been on a lot of great stations. She was on K-Rock, N-E-W-F-M, W-B-A-I. A lot of you may know her from W-B-A-I. W-L-I-R out on Long Island, which is now our station on Long Island. And um, she's very good. She's got a great voice, and she has great taste in music. So I was I neglected to mention Meg Griffin as well. We're going to get to your calls in just a minute, 800-848-9222. I did want to mention, though, that there is new research that is going to be released on Monday that is going to reveal that shopping for nostalgic and retro items is in. I have to tell you, this does not surprise me in the least. This is from um, a marketing firm called, I believe it's pronounced Emerasis. That's how it's pronounced. I think this is technically embargoed until Monday, but I don't know what people are going to do if I talk about it now. But the key findings include that VHS tapes, Etch-A-Sketch, Polaroid cameras, mood rings, and lava lamps are the most popular products on America's vintage purchase list. You know, I used to have a lava lamp. In fact, I think I still have one. In my mom's garage, I used to use it on the set of my TV show, Morano Vision. And maybe I'll, I'll dig that up somewhere. I'm, I'm sure my wife is thrilled at the prospect of me putting that up in my office again. But three in ten consumers miss iconic TV commercials from the 90s. And one quarter miss buying products through infomercials and catalogs. And 24% miss iconic TV jingles. We've covered all those things, and it is, interestingly enough. The physical stores that Americans would most happily travel back through time for include, no surprise here, Radio Shack, Blockbuster, Circuit City, and Borders. So I thought that was pretty interesting. I am curious what items you still purchase, what retro items you still purchase. You you know, um, vinyl made quite a comeback. I'm wondering if VHS tapes can make that same kind of comeback. I don't think they can because even though a lot of people are are into it, uh, vinyl records, if you listen to vinyl records, they have great quality, great quality. But VHS tapes, they degrade so quickly, they don't have great quality. So I don't think they're going to see the same kind of comeback. You know what I'd love to see is this nostalgia wave help the world of terrestrial radio. There's a young man that listens to the show. He calls in from time to time, Nick, out on Long Island. And this is, I love this guy because he's, I don't know what he is, 17, 18, 19, something. And he's a younger guy, and he loves terrestrial radio. He sent me a video on Instagram of him listening to our show in Long Island on the radio on two different radios. One tuned to 770 WABC and one tuned to 680 WCBM in Baltimore. And for whatever reason, the signal hit his radios just right 
that he was able to get our show on both stations. And I love what this guy does. He's really into restoring old radios. He gave me an old transistor radio, which I use, which I just love. And uh, I wish there were more young folks that took Nick's approach to radio. And I'd love to see radio. When I say radio, I mean radio. I'm not talking about podcasts. I'm not talking about streaming. I'm not talking about digital content. I'm talking about good old-fashioned, over-the-air terrestrial radio. I would love to see terrestrial radio experience the same kind of rebirth and because of nostalgia and this desire for retro items that records have. But according to this uh, research, um, Etch-A-Sketch, Polaroid, VHS tapes, that's the big thing. And it reminded me a couple of months ago, I interviewed the fellow who started this website, Free Blockbuster. And basically, Free Blockbuster is a place where people can leave movies. It's like those mini libraries, but it's just VHS tapes and DVDs. Uh, Free Blockbuster is a place where people can leave movies so other people can borrow them. So like those little free libraries where you can take or leave a book, this is for VHS tapes or DVDs and anything else you want to share with your neighbors. So it's really neat. You can learn more about them at uh, freeblockbuster.org. And so I interviewed the founder of this group, Free Blockbuster, and I asked him, what's the appeal? This is a few months ago. What's the appeal of VHS tapes? Tell me about your fondness for VHS tapes. Why does anyone still care about VHS tapes? Can't you get a DVD player or, better yet, just uh, download whatever movie you want digitally? Yeah, you know, we have a lot of uh, different options for entertainment, and I think it's one of the amazing things about living in the modern era. But uh, I think there's also stuff that I have on VHS that isn't available on DVD and isn't available on streaming. And so to be able to kind of be a video archaeologist and find that stuff, that's really exciting. You, you probably know that VHS has kind of had a resurgence among young people recently. And a, a young person who actually was actually writing for their college newspaper asked me, when did you start collecting VHS tapes? And I laughed because back when I was a kid, we just called it collecting movies. Um, but but it, there, there's, there's a texture to it and, and there's a value to it that's beyond just being able to, you know, you can, you can watch the new Marvel movie or you can find something interesting on VHS or on DVD that you're not going to find on a streaming site. So retro is back with the revival of bargain and nostalgia hunting through open markets like Real, The Real Real and eBay. And uh, one of the shows, I, ha- I don't watch this show. It's on my list to watch one day, but my, my younger siblings all love it. Stranger Things. Um, they champion retro in pop culture these days. So it's no surprise that today's shoppers are hungry for the products of the past. And one of the products that they're hungry for is VHS tapes. Uh, so I'll ask a multifaceted question. One, do you still use VHS tapes? 800-848-9222. If not, what product of the past, what retro item are you nostalgic for? 800-848-9222. And lastly, and this is the most important question for me, is what do you think we could do to get terrestrial radio to capitalize on this nostalgia or retro craze? 800-848-9222. Because the thing that I've noticed, even people that are champions of radio in our industry, and when I say radio, I mean both talk and music and sports, whatever else, they basically – 
are already preparing for the next wave. They're saying, oh, yeah, streaming is a great way to get more people to listen to our station. And it's true. It's true. Podcasts a great way to get more people listening to our station. I am not willing to throw in the towel on terrestrial radio yet. I mean, call me a dinosaur, but I love terrestrial radio. And I'm not going to see it go down without a fight. It kills me. It's bad enough cars don't have cassette players or CD players anymore. Um, you know, Mike from New Rochelle who called earlier, he, he put in a lot of time in making this mix CD for me to listen to. And I was going to listen to it in the car. I realized Rachel's car doesn't even have a CD player. So cars don't have cassette uh, decks. They don't have CD players. Now the newer cars are coming out without an AM radio. And I I think that is just awful. So I'm not going down without a fight. What piece of retro – it doesn't have to be technology. It could be a toy, um, a mood ring, anything. What what retro item do you miss? Do you still patronize – do you still use VHS tapes and – uh, what do you think that uh, the world of terrestrial radio can do to capitalize on this retro craze? 800-848-9222. John is in Freehold. Hello, John. Hey, what's up, Frank? Pleasure as always. Thanks. Um, so, uh, first off, I'm a, I was born in 1990, so I grew up in the 90s. I have every Disney movie on VHS. Well, and, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that, that's uh, you know, uh, that was a hot item back in the day. Yeah, it's still, uh, you know, I still kept them. I mean, I don't. I guess they're not worth much, but to me, they're worth a lot, sentimentally. But uh, like, I remember the commercials. Uh, they used to come on before, like uh, the Lion King movie. It was like that little kid who was like packing a suitcase or whatever upstairs. So very nostalgic. Yeah, but, no, um, I, I can understand that. And I remember with the. I was never that into Disney films, honestly. But I remember they released a lot of sequels to theatrical Disney films just on VHS tapes and not in the theaters. Yeah, like that, uh, Lion King 2, um, a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, but, I, I, um, Aladdin, I think, The Return of Jafar. Yeah, and then uh, I've actually, I, I haven't even, I didn't really notice it until you just said it. Um, the past few weeks, I've been finding uh, Dunkin' Yo-Yos in the stores. Really? And, I've been buying them and, like, going home and playing with them and, like, doing the rock in the cradle and sleeping them and stuff. And, uh, yeah, those, those, are, those are a lot of fun. I miss you. I miss you. Yeah, no, they, they are a lot of fun. Hey, J- John, thank you. 800-848-9222. Joe is in Ron Konkama. Hello, Joe. Hey, Frank. Great show. Um, I listen to you every night on terrestrial radio on my car. And um, my dad... Before he passed, he was a big, uh, he liked to uh, videotape everything on VHS. And when he passed away, me and my sister inherited over, uh, I think about 400 uh, VCR movies that he videotaped and stuff. I haven't gone through them yet with my sister. They're in my garage, but I hope they're still good. I mean, he, he taped movies from the 40s. He was like you. He liked. Al Jolson, and I grew up, that's how I grew up, watching uh, movies like that. Um, Shane, I don't know if you remember Shane. Oh, of course, I love Shane. With uh, oh, e- Emma DeWilda, or Br- uh, Brandon DeWilda, whatever his name was. I have it on DVD, I have it on VHS. Um, I don't know if you ever uh, saw a movie, I want to, before you, let me go, um, uh, what is his name, um, Daniel Webster, uh, Devil and Daniel Webster. Uh, if you ever have time, watch that, Frank. Uh, it is a great picture. 
I know you would like it. Um, something you would watch with Carmine when he's growing up. It, uh, I love the movie. It's, it's a great fall flick. You know, it's um, from it's in New England, um, old times when Daniel Webster was uh, running uh, for president, but he never, of course, got elected. Great movie. Yeah, Have that, a great weekend. Th- thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. Uh, Yvette is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, Yvette. Yay. Hi there. Hi. So, the retro item I love and should have never been done away with is the record player. And the huge speakers, like from the 80s, that used to break up the windows. I miss that a lot. I thought for sure you were going to say uh, unfiltered Marlboros, Yvette. But the um, the record pl- the, the record player that they still make those. They still make record players. But yeah, but they have CDs and streaming, and everything is so easy. The only way to really appreciate music, I don't know. I have to see what I'm playing. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. And now these days, it's easier to find. Thank you for the call, Yvette. It's easier to find a record than it is a CD, I think. You know, I see record players everywhere. I don't see CDs everywhere. It's tough to find uh, CDs. 800-848-9222. Original Rick is in New Jersey. Hello, Original Rick. Good morning, Frank. Good morning. Thanks for taking the call. Sure. Okay, two, two things. First of all, the gentleman that was calling about the VHS tapes, I inherited 800 from my mother, and he's going to be very disappointed when he watches them. First of all, Yeah, they the, degrade. Uh, yeah, yeah. Not only that, but the uh, screen size—you know—the ratio is completely different. And they only had 480, uh, you know, uh, 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 resolution rather mm-hmm. than the 18. It's so it, it's unwatchable. They really are. They're so blurry. You, yeah. you, you can't watch them. Well, look, yeah. there's a reason so, they uh, went out of day. They, they, they went out of fashion. There's a reason they're obsolete. Yeah, they're only so high of quality, and then we had to go to CD. Now about the retro, I have a uh, complete bookshelf full of retro because I just love reliving my memories. I have different versions of the Polaroid cameras, 16 millimeter projectors. I have 1903 uh, light bulb. I have my original teddy bear. You know, I, I just lo- love it all. But lately I've been going after retro food like uh, <clears throat> Bosco. Because I loved Bosco. Well, uh, did Bosco ever fall out of fashion? I mean, I still see Bosco all the time. Yeah, you see it, but not. It, I never see anybody use it. I mean, I guess it's on the shelves, but I haven't bought it in forty years. It's always Hershey's, you know, or or, or something like that. Uh, Blatt's beer can't find it anywhere east of the Mississippi. Yeah, I'll tell you what I can't find since you mentioned beer, and I I, I have been looking. I for the last I'd say. 10 years have not been able to find a bottle of Rheingold. And they used to be, they really? made, they made quite a comeback uh, back in the early to mid nineties. And then they tried for another comeback about 20 years ago. They were manufactured not in Brooklyn, but in Utica. And they used to, they were everywhere for a little while. And I don't know what happened. I don't find uh Rheingold. I cannot find a bottle or a can of Rheingold anywhere. My my beer might be Rheingold the dry beer, but if you're a Rheingold drinker, uh, instead of thinking of Rheingold whenever you buy beer, you're really just not going to be drinking beer. Paul is in Astoria. Hello, Paul. Hi, Frank. Good morning. How are you? Great show as always. Thank you. Always great talking to you. Likewise. The retro, the retro stuff that I like is 8-track tape. 
eight tracks. Yeah, you know what? Why do you think eight tracks have not made the same kind of a comeback that uh, that vinyl records have? Well, probably because of the sound quality is really not that great, and you have to get a player that's going to accommodate it as well. And it's hard to find the players as well. I found some on eBay. Mm. How much? How much are they and, going for on eBay? Uh, maybe like forty to fifty dollars. They're really not that expensive. Wait, the the players are only going for forty or fifty dollars. Yeah, I've gotten some cheap ones huh. in the past. Yeah, you know, my wife like, is going to kill you because. I'm now looking. I'm now looking up at purchasing one of these eight-track record players. That is, that's pretty cool. I may, I may pick up one of these. Yeah, I've, I've listened to Billy Joel, um, some Beatles, and there are also services the way you could even send them out to be repaired as well. This all started because my grandparents had it in their house, and it was on those big console players, and basically. Uh, I just took a liking to it as a kid. And I remember even as a kid, they were even eight-track players in cars. We were talking oh, a no, bit yeah, about. Ab- absolutely. So um, given the sound limitations of the eight-track, what is it that you really like about the eight-track? Uh, probably the nostalgia of it, mm. you know, the fact that it's a different way to, to hear music. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to be clear and crisp like a like a CD, but however, it, it just gives you that like warm feeling, like hearing like static yeah. uh, on an AM radio. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. All right, Paul, I may find myself purchasing an 8-track because of you. Fred and Yonkers. Hello, Fred. Hey, Frank. Good morning. Good morning. I got one that's going to fill both of you things. A Panasonic Toodaloop radio. You ever hear of it? Tuda- I don't think so. Panasonic Toodaloop? It's shaped like a ring, like a donut. And we used to put them on our bikes. So when you drove your bike, it would go over to handlebars. That thing is an AM radio, transistor battery. It would blow your mind. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm just looking it up now. I have seen these before. I've never owned one, though. That's pretty neat. You have one of these? I have a blue one, and it's one of my possession. Oh, that's pretty neat. Why did they stop making these? Because I, I think this is um, pretty convenient, and I think people would still want to wear these. I think so. Yeah, it's the, kind of stylish. Yeah, no, this is pretty way. neat. I love it. I love it. I'm going to uh, I'm gonna see about getting one of these, too. Uh, Ahmed is in Brooklyn. Hello, Ahmed. Yes, uh, the great technology of the past was mini-disc. Magna optical drive, most durable format ever developed uh, in history for audio or well, computer data. Yeah, I mean, why did they? Uh, I mean, I guess it kind of got replaced by the the iPod, right? Well, sort of. Well, actually, um, the reason why it wasn't successful in the United States, people, American people, didn't want it. Like they preferred CDRs, which were like uh, very much cheaper. Mm. So they didn't. It was in a case. It was like old, old-fashioned old technology. They put, like, the disc inside a protective case, and we put it into the drive that opened up and read the opening of the of the protective case, the caddy. And it was, it was very durable. They had a one-gig technology. They used, Sony used to have store, retail stores like Apple. Yeah, no, and I – They used to have a one-gig one. Sorry, and go ahead. Musicians used it because they had like a stereo recorder. You record, use like a tape recorder. Yeah, I knew a lot of radio people that used it. Um, you know, a, a lot of a lot of folks in radio were using mini disc for a long time as a recording format. I'm surprised it wasn't more uh, durable. Thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Michael's in Indiana. Hello, Michael. Hi. Good morning, Frank. Yeah. I have 
Actually, I have three things. I only told Kevin, our your phone talent coordinator, about radio. I inherited a old Zenith World Band radio. You know, the small console kind with a huge sure, sure, antenna. absolutely, yes. And also, I have a an old U.S. Navy um, a trainer AM radio that I would love to be get in contact with. Uh, who did you say earlier, a uh, a guy that uh, uh, fixes old radios? Yeah, uh, he, uh, his name's uh, his name's Nick. Uh, he's on he's on Instagram. Are you on Instagram? I don't do that social media face. Well, MySpace, Facebook. Yeah, Twitter, I mean, I would I wouldn't know. First of all, nobody does MySpace unless you from thirty five <laughs> years ago. But um, uh, his name's Nick uh, Grassy. He calls into this program. A great deal. I, other than Instagram, I don't really know how to get in touch with him. Uh, but uh, he does he does do a lot of radio repairs. That's kind of like a side hustle for him. Uh, but uh, if you um, if you leave Kenneth your information, Michael, the next time um, the next time Nick calls in, we'll we'll put you we'll give him your number. Okay. Okay. And the third thing is, my uncle has an old a real old piano that you put the paper cartridges in. Oh yeah, and a player it, piano. Yeah, well, it's it's different than all the other ones I've seen, but he has like a hundred of these paper cartridges that I don't. I, he only played it once for me, and I was just so fascinated by this thing. Oh, that's and, interesting. Yeah, yeah I, that, I found that very neat. Michael, I'm going to put you on hold. Give Kenneth your information, and the next time Nick calls in, we'll uh, we'll connect him. We'll give your we'll give him your number, basically. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Hey, um, let me take one more call. Then we'll do the thousand dollar minute. Let me see who's been holding a while. Um, Richard on the George Washington Bridge. Hopefully, he made it out of there. Richard, you've been holding a while. What's on your mind? Yes, uh, I made it off the George Washington Bridge. I'm home in Fort Lee. Wonderful. Just wanted to comment on the two dollar bills. Great. I think my um, my cousins Lou and Joni live in Fort Lee. Do you ever you ever run into them? Not that I know of. Okay, all right. I'm, I'm a bit of a vampire. I'm not out in the daytime much, so I don't meet a lot of people. In right. Fair enough, fair enough. Interesting that the last time I only spoke to two radio shows, and both times it concerned currency. The last time I spoke to you it was about cryptocurrency. Oh, okay. Well, I'm, I'm... And this time I just wanted to note that $2 bills are great for tips. People always, doorman told me this a long time ago. You might not remember the person who gave you a 5 or a 20, but you'll always remember the person who gave you a $2 bill. You know, you're exactly right, Richard. I, I tip with $2 bills, and when, I, when you hand a valet a $2 bill, you're exactly right. Their face lights up, and they'll often shout to one of their colleagues, hey, look at this, they got a $2 bill. That, you're exactly right. That is a great way to leave an impression. I use them in strip clubs. Oh, well, a lot of people do. A lot of people do. That's um, that's one of the places where you can actually find a lot of $2 bills is uh, gentlemen's clubs. 800-848-9222. Uh, all right. Those of you that are holding, if you want to keep holding, you can. We'll get to you, maybe. Uh, Martha Byrne is scheduled to be here in about five minutes. We're going to do the $1,000 minute. If you want to try and win $1,000, I have to tell you, these are pretty easy questions. Um, I said that yesterday, and the person didn't know what the name of Hurricane Ian was. Jinxing it already. I am jinxing it. But let me tell you something. 
be honest with yourself here. If you don't know the name of Hurricane Ian, don't call in. If you don't know how many continents there are, don't call in. If you don't know how many letters in the alphabet there are, don't call in. If you don't know how to spell cat without us spotting you the C and the T, don't call in for the rest of you. These are very reasonable questions. I think I could stop any person in the hallway here, and they would be able to answer nine out of ten of these. The last one's a little tricky, and one you kind of either know or don't know. All of this is stuff that I have mentioned on the show this week. 800-848-9222. If you're the seventh caller, we'll play the $1,000 Minute straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Jimmy Buffett really built a whole business empire with Margaritaville. What he was able to do turned being a singer into a a business empire like that. It's really extraordinary. I'd like to figure something like that out, right? Imagine a a Frank Moranoville Moranoville empire of hotels and... Casinos and stuff. That'd be kind of neat, right? Morano Vision, the experience. I like it. I like it. All right. Uh, it's time for us to try and give $1,000 away. Hopefully, this is somebody that knows the name of the hurricane that has been dominating the news for the last three days is Ian. It is time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Murano. Let's say hello to Brad in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, Brad. Hey, Frank. How are you? I'm great, Brad. Thanks for listening. Thanks for calling in. Okay. All right. You ready to go, Brad? Yeah. Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed? Oh, give it a shot. Okay, great. You know the rules, right? Yes, I do. Okay, let's get started. Name a device that is used to cook food. The frying pan. What state has been battered by Hurricane Ian? 
Florida. What professional sport does Tom Brady play? Football. What actor has been the voice of Darth Vader? Oh, my David Prowse. Prowse. You know, we're going to we're going to count that because of the controversy this week. We'll count that. How many cupcakes are in a baker's dozen? 13. What is a baby cow called? A heifer. Uh, I don't think that's accurate. No, that's not. A baby cow is a, a calf. A, a calf. Oh, calf. Um, uh. you, you see, you were thinking too quickly. A heifer is a uh, a female cow that's not yet pregnant. So that's not necessarily a baby cow. It is a calf. Uh, um, calf. Brad, Brad, you played well, though, and at a good pace. I'm going to put you on hold. Um, and uh, give Kenneth your information, and we'll send you a consolation prize. The reason I gave him David Prowse is because he might have uh, – technically, he's right, right? I mean, David Prowse wa- did record the voice of Darth Vader. It wasn't in any of the films. I, I, the answer I was looking for was James Earl Jones. But clearly, if you know David Prowse, that's a tougher answer than James Earl Jones. But uh, we, there's no way we could have given him heifer. Hey, um, somebody that knows a thing or two about uh, acting and Hollywood is uh, Martha Byrne. She is a three-time Emmy Award-winning actress. She's a writer and a producer with a career spanning over 30 years in the entertainment industry. And she's also the wife of a highly decorated NYPD sergeant by the name of Mike McMahon who has been in the eye of the storm on some legal issues, courtesy of the FBI. She's kind been kind enough to be on our show before. Martha, it's great to talk with you again. Oh, good morning. Thank you so much for having me back. I appreciate it. Unfortunately, this is still going on. Well, so give us the – so for people that didn't hear our previous conversation, Martha, give folks the Reader's Digest version of what you and your husband are going through. So my husband was a retired NYPD sergeant. He retired – in 2003 and became a licensed private investigator and became a very successful one at that and worked on hundreds of cases, very successful. And he worked on a case for a couple of days in 2016-17, a normal case where he was called by a a translation company out of New York, did some background checks for a a company that was looking for some assets here, Uh, didn't think about it again. And on October 28, 2020, uh, they arrested him, came to our house at six, 6 o'clock in the morning in front of my kids and said that he was being arrested for failure to register as a foreign agent, uh, which is FAR, which you've been kind of hearing about on the news a little bit more recently. Um, and we've been fighting it ever since. It's been an absolute nightmare. He did nothing wrong. He was a licensed PI. They, the company he worked for, he was paid with a bank check. It was, you know, it was, everything was normal. Um, and to this day, even in thousands of pages of discovery, there is no evidence against him of his guilt, only of his innocence. And the FBI, the DOJ, they've known this for years. I mean, years. Never brought in to talk to him. Never, never asked him to be an asset in this case. Uh, you know, four years later, you're, 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 your life turns upside down for no absolutely no reason. And it's just been a horrible situation. You know, Mike, when he did surveillance on this case that he worked on, the company was, uh, was a Chinese construction company, but they had assets. Someone had stolen assets, and they were looking for them here. So they hired a local company in the States just to find the assets, find the money. That's what he was hired to do, civil matter. So – it was normal. There was nothing about it that was strange, and he did everything by the book. 
Uh, when he did surveillance, he notified the local police that he was there, that he was armed, so his make and model of this car. You know, he worked with two other NYPD uh, retired detectives on the case and surveillance. He notified two federal agents about the case who he knew at the time. And our government decided not to use any of those law enforcement law enforcement officers in this matter, completely ignored them and spoke to Chinese agents instead, mm. which to me is absolutely shocking. Uh, where's your husband now? He's home. Thank God. That- yeah, God, but his yeah, his PI license has been revoked. Suspended. And yeah. what what is the uh, the status of his legal case at the moment? What's the next step? So we just filed prosecutorial misconduct against the DOJ on August eighth. Um, we we're requesting hearings citing um, bias against my husband. So we're waiting on response from that. Um, you know, it's been we're continuing to go back to the government uh, and and try to get this dismissed because it should never have happened in the first place. And the Mm. fact that we're here today is appalling. Uh, It's disturbing as an American that our, our complete, our privacy, our, this hero, and my husband won 75 accommodations on the NYPD. He won the combat cross. He ran into burning buildings, took on gunfire. You know, he was, he is a hero and was putting his life on the line for us every single day and willing to die for strangers. And this is how he's treated. It's, I think it's just, it's just horrible. And the it fact is. that um, the FBI and law enforcement would take the words of these uh, communist Chinese agents uh, before even speaking with, uh, with, with your husband, who seems like he did everything above board is just beyond the pale to me. Now um, w- w- the reason I was eager to have you on the program today is because there's going to be a big fundraiser this Saturday in Nanuet, New York, from 3 to 9 p.m. I'm going to post the information on my oh, uh, Facebook page at facebook.com uh, slash Fan. But it's in Nanuet, New York, and um, th- there's going to be food. Uh, Eddie Gallagher uh, is going to be there, who certainly yeah. knows a thing or two about uh, about going through the, being through the ringer on this. His group, the uh, Pipe Hitter Foundation, is uh, supporting your husband. And if people yeah. want to go, it's going to be at the Pearl River Elks Club at uh, 2041 Elks Drive in Nanuet, New York. We have a ton of listeners in Rockland uh-huh. County, so uh, I'm hoping awesome. that we get a big turnout. But even if um, even if people can't make the event in person, what's the uh, website if they want to make a contribution to your to your husband's legal defense fund? Oh, here? oh thank you so much. So it is Pipe Hitter Pipe Hitter Foundation dot org. And my husband's Michael McMahon. So if you follow his profile and you go read his story, then there's a place to donate on his page. Um, and, you know, for us, this is about every American. You know, this is kind of a, you, you posted something like this is a rally for every American that needs to fight back against this kind of thing. And it's, if we don't fight back, it'll continue. So we are we are going to do that until he's exonerated so that these decisions are made long before not to do things like this to heroes innocent people. You know, we are not collateral damage in someone else's agenda. My family is not collateral damage just because of an agenda of somebody else, political, personal, whatever the, whatever the situation may be. So we have to fight back. So please come. Eddie Gallagher and the Pipe Hitter Foundation has been incredible to us. And, and the fact that Eddie and Andrea, his wife, are coming on Saturday, there's going to be a lot of uh, support there from uh, cops and firemen and, and first responders and like, we have to get behind each other. And I told Eddie and Andrea, I said, when this is all over, 
Mike and I will use this, this, this experience and we will help other people. I mean, I can, if I can read through thousands of pages and, and help somebody and, and help them with their case, and Mike is an, obviously an incredible investigator, if we can help with our time to help people who are going through this, we are absolutely going to do it. Nobody's going to stop us. So please come. Yeah, and, uh, no, it's going to be a great event. Uh, Saturday from 3 to 9 p.m., Pearl River Elks Club, 2041 Elks Drive in Nanuet, New York. And again, if people can't make it to the event, but they want to make a contribution, they can go to pipehitterfoundation.org. You know, I'm Martha, I'm sorry that you guys are going through all this, but, uh, you know, they, my grandmother used to say that God never gives you more than you can handle. And it sounds like the kind of strength that you and uh, your husband exhibiting, it sounds like this is uh, as unpleasant as it is for you guys. It sounds certainly like something you can handle. Absolutely. I, I mean, you know, we are a strong family. My children are incredible. You know, they, they my, my kids never should have, have had to go through this. You know, this is, this is not, shouldn't be part of their, their life story to watch their hero father who they admire and love and adore has been there for them since they, they were born, you know, be treated this way. But you know what, if their parents fight back against it and we show them that you can't be pushed, pushed around by bullies, and we can fight through this and win, don't be afraid. Fear is what stops people from being strong. And fear is something in your mind. You need to get over it. These are people. This is something that happened to us, and we're going to overcome it, and we're going to be stronger, and hopefully our children will see that when somebody does something wrong to you and they mistreat you and they devalue you, you fight back, and you don't give up until you prove them wrong. And if I can teach that to our kids, then we've done our our job. And And if we can help other people, be inspired to fight back against this. I mean, it's scary. It's they try to scare you, intimidate you. You know, it's it's so. It's this is not America. This is not how law enforcement is supposed to be to operate. And look, we know so many people in law enforcement, incredible people in, 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 that work in the federal government, who are who are who would lay their lives down for us. Who are great, incredible people. The the, the people who do the wrong thing. It's a reflection on the entire agency, department. That's wrong. That's not the way that should happen. So what you have to do is you have to make a point to show the ones who have done the wrong thing, to teach the ones, the good guys, that we're out there fighting for you too, that we respect law enforcement. We look up to and value law enforcement, but we don't value bad cops, period. That's, nobody likes bad cops. So we need to, to do something we can to fix that. Um, if we can, we have to fight. And that's what we're doing. So well, thank you for having us on, having me on. It, it really does help. Well, you know, because people believe what they read sometimes, and it's just not true. And so we have to get out and get the word out properly. Well, best of luck to you and to Mike. Please thank continue so to keep us posted on this. Best of luck with your event on Saturday. Thank you so much. You have a great day. Thank you. Appreciate it very much. Martha Byrne, thank you. You too. 800-848-9222. Uh, we're going to do 15 seconds of fame in just a minute. This is the uh, the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight in. The other side of midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano.
Thank you, Andy B. This is indeed the uh, Frank Moreno program. Uh, the other side of midnight. couple of quick notes. One, uh, if you want to stay in touch with me or if you want me to put you on my email list, uh, there, you can email me and uh, just say put me on your email list. And my email, I do read every email personally and I respond to most of them as long as it's not, you know, too long. Uh, Frank.Morano at WABCRadio.com. That's Frank.M-O-R-A-N-O at WABCRadio.com. I also, um, I came across something that I thought was so interesting. Um, You know, we were talking this week about the uh, passing of former New Jersey Governor Jim Florio. And um, Curtis reached out to me because he knows I'm an archivist of old school radio shows and stuff. He says, do you have any audio of Bob Grant talking about, you know, Jim Florio? Because, you know, Bob Grant went to town on Jim Florio. He would call him Flab Flab Florio and vowed to make New Jersey Florio free at 93. But uh, so I looked uh, through my stuff and I couldn't find anything. I couldn't help him out. But then I said, oh, let me look online. Maybe I can find something of uh, Bob Grant talking about Jim Florio. Couldn't find anything. But I came across something that was so interesting from 41 years ago. A debate in the New Jersey gubernatorial election between Tom Kane and Jim Florio, two future governors. Kane ended up winning that race and then... Florio would become governor eight years later after two terms of Tom Kane. This was such a great debate. And, you know, everyone always talks about the Lincoln-Douglas debates and how great they were and how different it was back then that thousands of people would gather to watch these debates without any amplification. And then people would leave, go home to dinner and then come back out to watch the rest of the debate. And people would go for hours and hours and hours. And I'm sure that, and that is incredible. And it does give you a perspective of how different things are. But I was watching this debate on the YouTube. And I'll tell you what I found so interesting. And my friend Roger Stone worked on this uh, campaign on behalf of, um, Tom Kane, but I know some Democrats that worked on behalf of it for Florio. What was so interesting is this. The moderator of the debate begins by laying down the ground rules and tells each candidate, you have up to seven minutes for an opening statement. Seven minutes. Can you imagine that today? These days, if a debate even has an opening statement, it's 30 seconds or a minute. There are no debates among among gubernatorial candidates these days. What you have is candidates who have these pre-prepared sound bites that they look for a way to weasel into the debate so that it gets repeated on the news for the next 24 hours. There's no real attempt to address serious policy discussions. What it is is an attempt to get your soundbite repeated, an attempt to trap up, to trip up your opponent so he says something dumb that they then report as a gaffe. This debate between Tom Kane and Jim Florida, this was a real debate. And you had two men, I think, who were of estimable character 
laying out their visions for the state. And it's interesting. I watched the whole thing. It, and I, I'm not a guy that has a lot of time to watch an hour of video. But knowing what has happened in New Jersey over the last 40 years, it was interesting hearing their questions and their responses to how they would address the concerns that New Jersey would be facing in the future. So I, I was so taken with this that I um, – I, uh, Link to it on my Facebook page. So if you want to watch this debate after our show, you can go to Facebook.com slash Morano fan. And I have the debate right up there on uh, on top. All right. Uh, without further ado, let us. And well, actually, uh, Joe in Staten Island has been holding a while. Let me let him comment for more than 15 seconds and then we'll do 15 seconds of fame. Hello, Joe. Hello, Frank. Yeah, this will be pretty quick. Sure. I was just commenting on the retro deal. Mm-hmm. I have flip phone. I actually I'm talking to you talking to you one right now. I got one. Oh, really? And you know, why do you keep the flip phone rather than a smartphone? It it well, yeah, my wife would agree with you cuz she wanted me to get one of those big uh nice screen Apple phones or something like that. With me that'll be broken in 10 seconds. <laughs> so a flip a flip phone uh is sturdy. You could it's small, you could store it easily. This particular one they're calling it a not so dumb flip phone because it does it's amazing. It does almost everything that a smartphone does, except that it doesn't have a touch screen. And I should add that I got it for free. Verizon upgraded oh. me for free because I had an old flip phone, and they were getting rid of the uh, 3G network that they call it. So you had to move up to 4G or 5G. And this this they gave me for free. But I should have kept shopping because now I found out they have a flip phone with a touch screen. Interesting. That to- that, to me, would be the ideal. Well, that's pretty neat. My Aunt Camille uh, has a flip phone, and so does Steve Sharippa. From the Sopranos and Blue Blue Bloods, they both use uh, flip phones as well. All right, without further ado, let us uh, give you an opportunity to be heard for 15 seconds. It's time for... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Eddie! The sages say, justice is a lame policeman, but he always catches up. Let's go, Brandon. Steve! The hard left will torture innocent people. And, folks, don't be fooled by the hard left. They'll try to fool you, pretend that you're on their side. Go, Buchanan, go. Go, Buchanan, go. Go, Buchanan, go. Go, Buchanan. Arnie. Shit is not a moron, and he needs to Google the Dobbsbury Deli shooting. Google the Dobbsbury Deli shooting. Mike. Tomorrow, Frank, I'm on a Jersey Turnbike southbound. Uh, you know what? I spoke to Dominic last night. I'll say it now. Uh, this horrendous uh, hurricane in Florida. I still haven't got word of my 90-year-old mother and my good sister, Carol. Anyone who's got friends or relatives, please say a prayer. Be optimistic. All the best. All Absolutely. The- Ralph. Okay. Uh, on the uh, uh, $1,000 minute question, uh, would that be a correct answer to say, uh, Frankie, James Earl Jones on the Star Wars question? Yes. Yes. Uh, Gary. Support the Trump peace initiative in the Ukraine. Trump is doing something very important in uh, uh, pushing for peace now in the Ukraine, and he will be attacked viciously for this. Leo. Thank you. One of the previous shows talking about periodic table of elements by mass, atomic mass. Uh, the inventor was actually Dmitry Mendeleev, not the person you was mentioning. I cannot remember anymore who he was. No, yeah, I, I know Mendeleev invented the periodic table. You learned that in the sixth grade. At least I did. Sixth grade chemistry. I think I was talking about something else. 
All right. Hey, uh, that slams the lid on things for today. Have a great weekend. Stay in touch. I'll be back on Monday with some more adventures. Frank Moreno, good day.